Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. And we've decided this time, after much deliberation, to talk about Microsoft's Xbox 360. And joining me, Leon Cox, in this podcast are Jay Taylor. Hello. John Salmon. Hi. And Tony Atkins. Hello. It's been a while, Tony. It welcome has. Back. We couldn't make this one without you. The Xbox 360. There's a lot to be said. Let's crack straight into some forum correspondence from Ashman86, who says the Xbox 360 launched my sophomore year of college. I had a console pre-ordered at GameStop, but my friends and I, who'd all pre-ordered together, had learned that the store was only getting a handful of systems at launch. Being young and impatient, I was frustrated that I'd have to wait who knows how many weeks before stocks were replenished, but I made my peace with the matter. To my surprise, I got a call from the shop on the day after launch saying that they'd had some no-shows and that they were only holding consoles for 24 hours. I told them I'd be there in an hour and immediately rushed out my door to collect it. Call of Duty 2 seemed like the real killer launch app. I'd not played the series despite being a lifelong PC gamer. My friends and I played a good deal of four-player split-screen on the game and the game's explosive set-pieces looked absolutely glorious in the new console. The Xbox 360 enjoyed a long lifespan and it landed at a particularly unstable period of my life as I was transitioning from childhood to adulthood. In the time between its launch and its successors, I started college, dropped off due to financial stress more than once, got married, became a dad, left a company I'd worked for since I'd been a teen and started at a company for whom I'd worked for eight years and ultimately returned to school at a different university and completed my undergraduate degree. As a graduation present, my wife gifted me the newly launched Xbox One, my college studies effectively bookended by Xbox generations. Looking back now, it's wild to put the console's longevity into perspective. With other consoles, I can firmly place my memories with them in specific locations and stages of my life, but my memories of the 360 are geographically and emotionally diverse. Equally as diverse were the range of games I enjoyed on it. I remember early multiplayer sessions with Gears of War and salivating over the upcoming new Halo. Halo 3 may just be my favourite of the series, but I also remember the disappointment of finding that my friends moved away from it more quickly than they did Halo 2 to play Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare instead. A great game in its own right, but I've never forgiven the series for it. <laughs> Bioshock terrified me as I played in the wee hours of the morning after working late summer nights. Mass Effect became one of my favourites of all time and I still associate the game with a certain smell of a product my parents used to clean the house of residual smoke odour after I discovered a fire burning inside our vacuum cleaner one night after playing late. I remember backhanding my close friend in the nose during a rock band session as I did my best to pull off a Pete Townsend windmill. I remember introducing my wife to Assassin's Creed 2, which was a far cry from the 2D Mario game she preferred to play, and then watching her tear through it and its two immediate sequels. I remember completing the Halo 4 campaign with my sleeping newborn daughter in my arms, a Christmas tree twirling and twinkling in the reflection of the game's loading screens. The memories come rushing back to me and I realise now just how special the Xbox 360 was and just how wistful I am now for the eight all too brief years I enjoyed with it. I reckon that's possibly going to be similar for us just in terms of how long the machine was around and how many life events it accompanied us through. Now, I know that probably it might be fair to say that the Xbox 360 has so far been the single most important console in Tony Atkins' life. 
Would that be fair to say? <laughs> I'm not sure about that. <laughs> no, but yeah. I mean, I do. I have a very, very fun spot for the for the console, of course. And I spent yeah, I spent a huge amount of time on it, uh, and that, that as well as the Xbox brand. I think I guess you know, like yeah. like most people here. I think everyone here have an Xbox. Did Jay? Did you not have an original yeah. Xbox? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So the three sixty in particular. I mean, my history of it obviously is mm. long and storied, and we all covered most of that throughout the show. But I think my 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 original history that I want to talk about is it's the launch of the console because I think this is probably where it fits the most eloquently into the discussion, um, and that is that the console came out the week of my honeymoon. <laughs> I mean, who would book a honeymoon on the week of a new console coming out? That was very mean. Um, mm. So, yeah, that, that I was I was getting married to my still wife right now. Um, many, yeah, back in 2007. Yeah, that's right. Um, and five. Five, sorry. Oh, God. Sorry, honey. <laughs> oh, it's been that long. Um, yeah, back, it's fair to um, point out that at 25, we're all still idiots. Yeah. And I was still an idiot, but you know, I, I, I was getting married. The essentially that that whole kind of launch period, and you know, there was a part of me that was like, that I need to focus on a wedding. I do not need to focus on new game console coming out after you know, pretty much spending the entirety of my my childhood, stroke, adolescence into you know, just loving games and consoles. And yeah, you know, maybe in my head it was like, no, I shouldn't. This shouldn't be my priority right now. Well, of course, the wedding happened, and that was fantastic. I had a lovely wedding. And then a honeymoon happened and I hadn't pre-ordered one of the, the glorious Xbox 360 because I was, you know, trying to do the right thing. Uh, I then <laughs> then spent the pretty much the entirety of my honeymoon trying to find an Xbox 360 that I could actually buy. Uh, <laughs> the romance is off the chart. <laughs> I know. And still, uh, my wife hasn't let me forget it to this day because it was it was one of these ridiculous things where I just I had to have it. I just I, I couldn't leave that section of me behind so i would i'd we're in scotland like the deepest darkest part of scotland and um i was finding internet cafes to see whether i could <laughs> yeah, back when internet cafes were a thing um right. could yeah i could um pick up a console and i actually did i i managed to to actually pick up a console not on the honeymoon i have to say we still continued our honeymoon but when i got back i uh i actually got a uh, a scalped xbox 360 console from ebay which you know isn't really great and i remember playing a good 200 pounds more for it on launch so that went well when it broke three months later and he had to send it to microsoft they were like where's your proof of purchase but you know actually uh, i asked the guy like how come you have a new console and he actually worked for game and he had taken four games essentially bought four consoles from uh from game and you know, sold them on eBay, which is probably an entirely wrong thing to do. But that's it's not really allowed. No, and it's certainly um, not ethical. But you know, to be fair, you know, I I I, I managed to get the console. But that that was a it's a story that's still really you know. If I talk about you know being there for launch day, this was I wasn't there for the actual launch day. I no, was on my honeymoon. Right. But this was yeah. the weirdest launch day that I had, which was spending a big chunk of what I felt was going to be my new life of like just you know. Don't need to focus so much on that. Only then to fall foul of it and focus entirely. In fact, the next eight years of my life. Yeah, eight years. Right. You know, it's been fifteen years. I was just like, just for three sixty. We're not going to go into the until one. the until the Xbox One. Yeah, no, yeah. So, uh, or at least maybe until backwards compatibility. So maybe more like another 
you could probably add another but, couple of years on that. I mean, the, the 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 thing with that though was you know my history my history before that I you know I used to play a lot of Xbox Live, the original incarnation on on the Xbox. So the hype for the 360 at that time for me was massive because I wanted to continue playing with you know the friendships that I'd made with with yeah. you know, different people. So it wasn't just a case of oh new shiny I want the new game. It was actually you know that idea of your friends playing something new that you'd mm. kind of built a relationship around with and, and not being there for that inaugural, oh, wow, this is really cool, which, you know, was a new thing other than you know, having close friends next to you over the years. It was a, a thing that I wanted to be a part of. And and yeah. we should say this is pre-Twitter, pre-smartphones, pre-social media, really. Yeah, that's what in I mean. In a major way. Internet cafes. at the time. Yeah, it would have done. But yes, um, Facebook was around this time. But yes, we weren't we weren't all connected in the same way that no. we are now. So the friends you made on Xbox Live, that was the way in which you made those friends and kept them. Yeah, mainly. I mean, that was physically playing games yeah. with a microphone on and finding people that were like-minded. <laughs> I mean, that, that's weird Sometimes by today's not. standards, I, I understand. Yeah. But, you know, obviously the pool of people was less crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I have a massive... Anyway, I have a massive fun memories of, of the launch of the system um twofold primary because it was an ability to continue you know my social interaction with people that you know weren't just close by uh, but also you know the fact that it was over a period of the time that you know it was a big change of my life you know getting married and all that stuff it was turning from adolescence to i suppose something regarding an adult which i still don't really class myself so you know nah. baby steps and all <laughs> yeah Still making baby steps while your toddlers are outpacing you. Yeah, it's true. Not even toddlers yeah. now. Seven, know, yeah. <laughs> Seven, yeah. Goodness me. Right. Uh, right. Two questions about that, though. That original Xbox 360 that you got, mm -hmm. how long did that last for? And uh, how many have you had between then and now? Well, look, I'm sure we will talk about the failure rate of the of Xbox 360, <laughs> but I will, I'll put this out there front and centre. I only ever had one red ring. Um and it wasn't that original launch console, although that original launch console turned out to be the loudest console until PlayStation released the PlayStation <laughs> 3 and 4. But um, yeah, I only ever had one red ring and it wasn't that one. And But I kind of cherish that one. I, that, I still have that original cherish console. Cherish that red ring. No, I still have that one. And it's it's. I'd imagine if I took it out of its storage, it would probably red ring straight away. Maybe. <laughs> but um, It depends what they did to it, if it, if it was fixed properly. They, they did i know they did some stuff to try to reduce the return rate didn't they mm -hmm. so, hmm. yeah as we say we'll obviously go into as we always do on these specials our sort of path through the life of the machine mm -hmm. but yeah starting at the very beginning jay were you mm -hmm. an early adopter of the xbox 360 i was yeah day one when we talk of our strongest memories that's probably one of them for sure i can still remember queuing up outside the selbum walk game store uh, in Walthamstow mm. on the Friday morning because, look, in a way, this is where uh, Working Nights was really fortunate when games and consoles were released because I'd, unlike Tony, I'd actually pre-ordered this and I'd already I'll literally just waiting there with the receipt to go and pick it up. <laughs> and so it was like, yeah, just remember sort of, yeah, getting in at about sort of half five in the morning, clearing the space on the unit for it and then just sort of like sitting around twiddling my thumbs playing the original Xbox until until uh, about sort of seven, well 8.30ish and then making my way to this I only lived about 15 minutes away from the, the store so it was just like 
quick walk there, picked it up, come back, and then literally sat there playing it until my eyes and the, <laughs> the, the early morning sun was beaming through the window. My eyes were burning because I haven't had any sleep. So it was just, yeah. But um, but yeah, I was, I'll probably end up being more negative, I think, because unlike, I think you guys, because you're still Xbox players, but the Xbox 360 sort of ended my love affair with the, the Xbox console and, and Microsoft for, well, it hasn't returned yet. I I stayed with the Xbox till about 2010 and then parted ways, of which we'll discuss that later. But it's, yeah, I think I'm the only one of this group that isn't now, isn't still an Xbox player. Oh, yeah, but that's, yeah, that's, I'm an, I'm an everything player, so it's... Yeah, 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 but yeah. yeah, but I've kind of put, it was this console and the reasons we'll get into, but it was, yeah, this kind of... My relationship with Microsoft soured considerably over the course of sort of five years. So, mm. John, day one or later? Uh, no, um, I have never bought a console day one. Um, I'm going to state now that I probably never will. It's just not really my thing to, you know, get caught up in hype and be out there day one, sort of waving a fistful of money around. Um, the 360 was probably the console that I've bought that was closest to the time a console ever launched. Um, I've got a receipt sat in front of me that states uh, 31st of July 2006. So that's what, nine months mm. after it was originally released, I think. And I'd been I'd been pretty strongly playing um, most of the games that I was into at the time on the Xbox leading up to it. And obviously the 360 had had a lot of hype and had a lot of, you know, press and everything and everyone had been talking about it. But one of the things I guess kept me back a little bit was that I'd never had Xbox Live uh, on the original Xbox. So I hadn't built any sort of a, a friend group or any real, you know, sort of hard attachment to to wanting to continue with the console or really, as you say, there wasn't much in the way of social media or anything at that time. So all of my friends were people that, you know, I saw in real life for the most part, or, you know, chatted to on places like uh, MSN Messenger and stuff. So they weren't really people who I knew through consoles who would push me to, you know, sort of come along with us to the next console and the next game. So I guess for, you know, nine months or so, I just put it off. And, yeah, I eventually got there. I can't remember exactly what the the specific thing that pushed me was. Um, this receipt that I've got sat here, uh, it says that I got the console bundled in with Prey, which at the time was brand new and I had been looking forward to, and then uh, Oblivion and the Far Cry Instincts Predator, which I'd played both of the previous games of those franchises to death on the original Xbox uh, and on the PC. So I guess finally getting a bundle with a decent price cut and stuff like I'm looking at this receipt. So it was three fifty for everything, ah. which. Yeah. basically it was like the price of the console plus one and a half games at launch so i guess i figured it was a decent enough price cut when it came around to it uh so yeah that was that was me and uh that also the 31st of july happens to be my youngest brother's birthday so being probably a dick older brother at the time and not having <laughs> that much money i think his birthday present when i got home that day was just oh here's my old xbox don't worry, I took like 12 of the games to the store to trade them in against the Xbox One. But here you go, here's a console. Uh, I don't think he even had a TV in his bedroom or anything at the time. So, like I say, dick older brother move there. But, you know, what can you do? Uh, and, yeah, I mean, that was 
almost 14 years ago within a couple of weeks um i've been probably without an xbox 360 currently hooked up to the tv in that time for maybe a, a couple of months at one point when i moved and didn't have the console with me but otherwise it's basically been constantly there constantly playing games on it even now with the xbox one that again didn't buy at launch but i've had it for more than five years now and a ps4 and a switch like the 360 is still gets a decent amount of play and there's still a lot of games that are on it that are only on that 360 that they never made backwards compatible or never did anything else to so i mean i i, I struggle to foresee a day that i'll unplug the 360 completely while it's got games on it that are completely exclusive to it um and i had a lot of problems with it over the years uh i've upgraded a bunch of times to newer models i mean obviously the one that i've got now is the uh yeah i think the one i've got at the moment is the s model which probably came out in about 2011 and yeah the older ones that had the external hard drive on top i mean it's been a quite a while since i had mm. had one of those actually active um but yeah i mean the the s model seems to be pretty solid I've, i think i've got two or three different ones kicking about um me and tony got a, a japanese specific region Did locked it? one from one of my friends who was living in japan at the time so he sent us one of those with a bunch of weird exclusive games. Uh, so I've got at least two of these things, uh, including I think there's a couple more maybe still in boxes in my parents' uh, loft or something like that. But, yeah, I mean, I must have had, don't I figure I've had at least 10 or 12 different ones over the years, and I've had at least five or six that just went kaput and either got fixed or traded back in or chucked when... Uh, you know, the problem was beyond repair. But yeah, like I said, I can't really imagine a time that I'm not going to have this thing sat next to my telly. Mm, I waited just over a year, uh, or oh, about a year, until it was November. What was the, what what day did Gears of War come out? 11th? No, 7th of November, something like that. 2006. And Blockbuster were doing a bundle, 350 quid, with a premium console and Gears of War and pro evo 6 and i think a splinter cell game double agent does that sound right is that about then yeah that was an old yeah. one and uh i bought oblivion as well and oh what was that oh project it had project gotham with it as well uh so it would have been three yeah uh was i think the thing that it was, yeah, it was just, it hit the right price. I didn't know anything about Gears of War really up until the week of it coming out, but then I suppose I was on games forums at that point and there was some buzz for this game. There hadn't been enough to tempt me over to a next-gen console up until that point. And I was keenly aware that I only had a standard deaf television, as I'm sure quite a few people did going oh, yeah. into this generation Same. So I bought a SCART lead with the machine as well, which is probably another like 20 quid or something um, to play games in 480p. But as it turned out, well, we'll, we'll talk more about the tech, but um, it still looked like a generational leap from what I'd had before in certain you know graphical senses, Gears of War and its uh, uh, normal mapping and, and um, whatever else that made it look... And like a, a next yeah, generation the, title, the rain, mm. rain running off the walls, and that kind of thing, and yeah. and they also that stuff with gears really hard. That was supposed to be a massive technical powerhouse when it came out. And here was uh, here was a version of Oblivion that I could run because my PC wouldn't comfortably run it, and I like the idea of playing that on a big 
telly as well and so on and so forth so yeah and then i i think that first console that did red ring eventually but just the once i think i had a scare with like a one of those not full-blown red ring situations and um and then had a, a th- yeah the the dread the dreaded three lights at some point sent it off but the you could also red ring if there was like a problem with the power source or something. Yeah. So I think we had a power cut at one point that made mine look like it was red ringing, but it actually didn't. Yeah, there were lots of different uh, alert statuses depending on what you uh, what the internal error was. But yes, it was the three the three out of the four red lights that was the 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 dead one. I, I bet um, they wish they never come up with that idea of actually making yeah. a physical presence of a problem. <laughs> yeah, mm. the PS3 had one as well, the yellow light, yeah, of course, light, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, but when it did happen, uh, it was it was one of those things. It was it wasn't obviously it wasn't ideal. We'll talk more about it. But the they'd already by the time it happened to me, they'd already put the extended warranty in and the courier service. So it was no, it wasn't a massive deal really. Uh, I think I had one more of the original looking consoles. I can't remember why. I think it was it was one of those things where I ended up buying a second machine because it was such a good deal that it ended up meant meant that if I sold my previous one, I actually kind of made a profit on some games or something, mm-hmm. you know, one of those kind of situations. And then I've ended up with the one I've still got, which is the S from the 2011. And yeah, I've had that hooked up for nine years and it's still working absolutely fine. Uh, and yes, similar to John, I keep mine close to hand. It's been hooked up up until very recently. Uh, and then it was rehooked up for build up to this show because yeah there i've got still about 60 odd games installed on it that aren't playable anywhere else mm-hmm. so yeah for all the time that's still the case um i'll need to have it and hopefully it won't die on me mm-hmm. but yes we'll talk more about those games later on obviously this was the seventh generation microsoft console conceived in early 2003 known to development as trinity xbox next xenon xbox 2 xbox fs or next box it was officially unveiled on MTV, yeah. May the 12th, 2005. Rad, man. Rad. <laughs> and uh, I guess MTV was a big deal back in 2005, whereas it probably isn't now. We think that the console is named after the colour of green that is used to signify and promote it, the Pantone 360. Whether there's more to it than that, I'm not sure. Maybe some sense of circle circular something but yeah. well, the x uh, i mean it was also because it was based on the direct x programming system that microsoft had at the time well the xbox yeah. yes yes we talked about the the name xbox mm. in the original uh in the original xbox podcast you can still check that one out but the 360 part seems to be about the color but there it is uh green is the color that we white and green is the yeah effectively the colors that we associate with with the console the the boot up changed several times over over its life as they updated the dash, but certain themes, the swirl and the sphere and the and the and the green tint remained. So yeah, it was launched November twenty second in the USA, December the second, two thousand and five, in the EU. Another week later in Japan, and then I didn't realise this, but Australia and New Zealand had to wait until the following March two thousand six. Were you already in the UK at this point then, John? Uh, well, I mean, I, I actually went the other way. Um, I've spent most of my life in the uk i went right. to australia in 2007 and oh, came okay. back in 2011 okay. so yeah by that point i was well in 360 i didn't know anything about the uh mm. the delay on it fair enough launch prices obviously this is a hot topic again now as we approach 
the announcement of prices for the next uh, Xbox, the Series X and the PS5. But this machine was launched for the for the, the the one that you actually wanted to buy, <laughs> <laughs> the package, three hundred ninety nine US dollars. Adjusted for inflation, that would be five hundred twenty five dollars today. It'd be interesting to see if they can hit that with the Xbox Series X in twenty twenty, or at least one model of it. In Britain, it launched at two hundred eighty pounds which uh, translates to 425 quid now, which is around the price of an Xbox One X today. Yeah, and that was also 430 was the price of the original Xbox One in 2013, I think. Hmm. 430, 435? That's right, mm-hmm. yes. So yeah, it's, it but mind you, that adjusted for inflation presumably is quite a lot more now. Yeah, well, uh, yeah PlayStation been, 3 came out 425 back in 2007. Yeah, well, that's... Yeah, and that was considered a lot. A mm. lot. Yes, and it... Yes, well, it got off to a slow start. Uh, in Japan, it was 39,795 yen, and in Australia, it was $650. The machine was officially discontinued in 2016, and lifetime sales wise, 25.4 million in the USA, but this only goes up to 2011, but obviously it had kind of peaked by that stage. Uh, UK was around 8 million as of 2013, Japan, only 1.5 million. And uh, a million in Oz and New Zealand. Worldwide sales as of October 2013, when the generations shifted, were around 80 million Xbox 360s. Which basically, I think, puts it joint second with the PlayStation 3 by the time it had finished. Okay, where does... I always get muddled up about this without well, the list in front of so, me. I mean, this so is... the PS2 still still ahead... Yes. The Wii is quite so, high up So, there. yeah, I mean, this is probably the place to talk about this before we get too deep into consoles. Like I was saying earlier, I, I think, you know, some of the success of what Microsoft achieved with the 360 versus, um, you know, I think not the PlayStation 3 was a failure, but what I think... Um, Certainly not by the end. No, but what I think the expectation from Sony at the time, uh, you could see the PlayStation 3, you know, not as a, the wild success that it had with its you know first in two incarnations. True. And I think there's two, when talking about the prices, there's two major differences here. I think, and in fact, this plays into almost what seems like there was the problem between the Xbox One versus the Xbox versus the PlayStation 4. Um, you know, there was a price difference and it's a significant price difference at the time. And, you know, whether you like to believe it or not, that does actually play a, a fairly big part in, oh, of course it did, in yeah. people's adoption rate. Um Absolutely. So there was a, a, a sizable price difference. There was the fact that Xbox all but had a year's head start on its rivals at the time. Obviously, PlayStation being you know being its major rival, um, which really helped it get. I think it was like a six million unit foothold by the time PlayStation yeah. um, launched. So I mean, you and what you have to remember, not, it's not quite a standing start. It's a you know, the Xbox had sold what twenty million. I think the original Xbox was sold 20 million by the, mm, by the time. In that end. ballpark. Um, and then they just killed it. Well, they did. And, you know, people were quite Murdered shocked it. how quickly that died. But in the end, yeah. and you could argue, actually, if they'd spent a bit more time on R&D, they wouldn't have, it wouldn't have cost them a billion dollars to, to fix the red ring problem. Right. But in the end, they got a foothold in a market that was being yeah. absolutely dominated by the Sony brand. And although it, it came at a cost... Um, for sure for failure rate it did actually mean it, it created a user base for people that wanted that next gen experience mm. at the time 
and they are the positive things. They, I mean, they are the things that Microsoft saw. And bear in mind, you're looking at a Microsoft that were doing MTV launch parties with the killers playing on stage and Elijah Wood going, man, this is so rad. Like, it was this cool, hip, you need this brand. And it was white and it was kind of Apple-esque. And they, they really seemed to know what an audience wanted at that specific time. And you've got to remember, Sony at this point were too busy going... Look how powerful this cell processor is. And it's got 50 USB ports and two HDMI ports and all these different things. Yeah, and backwards compatibility they, out the gate. They focus so much on the tech. Why Xbox was over there actually saying, look, and you can play with people online and our friends. And here's the, you know. Yeah, but Sega had tried that in 98 had, and, and that didn't work then. <laughs> no. Well, I guess not enough people had internet connections back then. Up Even to 6 billion players. What do you mean? That was brilliant. Uh, but yeah. the, the point, my point was that the difference between Xbox's launch and the PlayStation 3's launch was stark. You know, you had one competitor absolutely desperate to throw all the kind of money at it and, you know, had these big kind of glorious launch parties. And you just had another brand that thought they could do no wrong and that people would turn up on their doorstep and just buy the console. And remember, at their press conference, you will get a second job to buy this console. And <laughs> it's just, it mm -hmm. didn't pan out. And it took Sony the entirety of this generation, of that generation, this generation. Another key thing was, of course, that up. the the PS3 was known for being hard oh, to yeah. develop for because it had the separate video and system RAM, whereas the Xbox 360 allowed developers to But that was combine. sensible, right? That was clever. That was really oh, yeah. intelligent well, it was thinking. clever until they released the next one and they made exactly the same mistakes that competitors have made. And, well that's true absolutely yeah. and yeah it, it does show you the, they went into the next the next generation you know the xbox one era as this arrogant company that could hubris. do no the wrong the leader always the leader the market yep. leader tends to always suffer with hubris but this is not that show we're we're no, here to talk about the the, the one console hmm. not the marketing strategies of both Microsoft and Sony throughout our history. This is true. But I, I think the, the important thing to set the show up is that you've got to remember that Microsoft were, was starting from a very small user base and they gave the industry yes. leader an absolute yeah. run for their money going into the next, the, the, with the 360. True. And the, the, what is overshadowed all is that the Wii actually won that generation. But it's just, it's not what people talk In about. In terms of pure And numbers, it had a yeah. massive effect on both Sony and Microsoft in this generation with the you know move and in particular for mm. xbox connect yeah but this isn't we that in itself is not uncommon within video games because sony did the same oh, with yeah, the playstation absolutely. one you know they they were the new runners in they came in and and totally wiped the floor with the you know all they did yeah you know and i feel this is just it's, it's just sort of the thing that happens when particularly when a new company kind of gets on board maybe it hasn't happened since to be fair because since then we've had google you know the a huge force comes in with Stadia and falls flat on its face. But then there's a lot of reasons why. Before we start, I just wanted to put that out there that, you know, what they what Microsoft achieved for the Xbox 360 was they, they made themselves a major player in what in a marketplace which many people thought that they had no right to be in. And not only did they, they pushed it to the very end, they've mm. made mistakes. They absolutely made mistakes in this generation. But I actually think many of their positives... Um, forced Sony to become a much better brand this generation with their consoles that went on to the PlayStation 4 eventually. You know, be it online infrastructure, be it, you know, trophies, achievements, be it, you know, just communication and making your brand something that people wanted rather than something that was just a piece of hardware, which, you know, they went down the wrong tech. So, you know, 
we will talk about that because I think you know they made some mistakes for sure, but I also think they made some great, great initial um, bids in their hardware to to create a system that you know took it to the very end of, of this generation. Uh, I think what always kind of stumped me about the Xbox 360 was that right from the very get go. Uh, or I suppose right from the the day that I first signed up to Xbox Live, which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, six months or so after I got the console, it very much became more than just a console, mm-hmm. like more than just a, a thing that was going to play a video game. You know, even the original Xbox that it had the built-in hard drive and stuff. I scanned a bunch of CDs onto it and used to listen to my own music while playing various games. But the 360, like as soon as you get Xbox Live, suddenly it's also somewhere that you can download trailers and demos and so many other bits and pieces built into it they had tv shows and stuff that were being produced for xbox live specifically and eventually ended up with you know all the apps and things and youtube and netflix and all that stuff on it that you you never saw any of that stuff Mm -hmm. on a console before like it just grew into being that much more than this box that i stick a cartridge in that plays what's on the cartridge i'd sign on to the console not even thinking that I wanted to play a game. It was more just like, oh, I can go and look at my friends list and see what other people are doing. Oh, that person's playing a game I've never heard of. Yeah. Oh, there's a game coming out next week. Download a trailer for it. Demos. What was the the Xbox Live (laughs) Arcade game this week? Like there was this air of, you know, just unexplored kind of mystery to everything that was so weird for me to see that Mm -hmm. in a, a video game console. Joe Bobonobo from the forum says, I have always had trouble getting into Microsoft's line of consoles. However, because my roommate at the time had an Xbox 360, I got to be more acquainted with the machine and as a result grew much more fond of it. In regards to the games on the machine, well, I've had some interesting experiences. It was my first time playing the Halo series with the third game. I was absolutely terrible at multiplayer, but Couch Co-op was a blast. GTA 4, Viva Piñata, Batman Arkham Asylum and Child of Eden were all fantastic experiences I've had with this console. However, it was very rare that I was playing AAA titles on the 360. It was Xbox Live Arcade that produced some of my fondest gaming memories. The wonderful world of indie gaming truly blossomed in this generation and was this was a blessed escape from, at least to me, increasingly stagnant mainstream gaming landscape. Castle Crashers, Trials HD, Worms HD and Splosion Man were always great to play with friends. I also got to experience a lot of classic titles for the first time, such as Rez, Ikaruga and Perfect Dark, all nice and spruced up. Every title on the service having a demo that you could try out was a repeat of those innocent days of me and my mates getting the newest official PlayStation magazine and trying out all the demos on the free disc. This really was a great feature of Arcade and put it head and shoulders above similar services on the PS3 and Wii. With the 360, Microsoft really got everything right. Well, nearly everything. My roommate got the red ring of death and had to get a replacement one day. Living in fear that the console would suddenly snuff it was not the ideal situation for owners of the machine, and it was a pretty big oversight on the console manufacturer's behalf. Other than that, it got everything right. A console with a pleasant aesthetic, a comfortable controller, and a fantastic online service that introduced indie games to millions all over the world, which resulted in a more diverse library than its predecessor. A massive improvement, which made me take Microsoft more seriously as a player in the video game scene. So yeah, the original machine came in the premium and also the arcade core flavor, which had no hard drive. Yeah. You had to buy a little memory pack thing on which you 512 could... megabytes oh. as well. Yeah. <laughs> and they originally, uh, the games that came out on Xbox Live Arcade, they limited them to, I think it was 50, 50 megabytes yeah. or 100 maybe it was when 50, it ex- extended it. 
it was no they upped it i think they upped it to yeah i think maybe it was first 100 and then 250 they specifically allowed konami to increase it digital eclipse for the version of symphony of the night yeah. but even that's cut back you, you could it's got missing animation and various things but yes by the end of the generation you could download sort of four gig xbla games and uh yeah. and that was the norm and everyone had a big hard drive were well, pretty much uh, later came the Elite, of course, a few years in. I never had one of these. I, I can't remember exactly. It it was a, it wasn't like a. Didn't it have just a couple of little minor internal tweaks to make it all run a bit better? But it didn't change the games as such. No, it? no, it yeah. came with a hundred and twenty gig hard drive. I've actually got all three of these systems. Wasn't it black oh, cool. as well? So mm. yeah, it was black. Yeah. I mean, it was black. Yeah, I, I know we're going to talk about it later, but it was like I I originally had the premium with the 20 gig card drive mm-hmm. when that red ringed this was it went before the um policy of free fixes so i ran out and bought a arcade an arcade from game station in wolfenstein it was the yeah. only place i could have it so i ended up buying that to i think that's it. what i did when i got a replacement guts of a machine as well yeah, yeah coming just back. put the yeah. hard drive back into that one yes yeah. The, the original cover. arcade or core that had the slot for the hard drive on the top yeah, yeah. as well? Yeah, what, you yeah. had a little plastic cover it. on it and you just flip yes. that oh, off yeah. and then slot the hard drive in. It's all I coming mean, back to me yeah. now. I don't yeah. think I ever had one of the arcade ones. Yeah. I ended up in 2007 getting an, an Elite simply because my the Xbox that I was using, five days before Call of Duty 4's launch, it went. And I was livid, absolutely <laughs> furious. <laughs> Um, because I knew that even if I sent it at that point, I was sending them off. But it was like it would still take a couple of weeks, two, three weeks before I got it back. Because yeah, they minimum. went off. To, yeah, they went off to Germany, didn't they, or whatever? So yeah. it was just like you got your your coffin was delivered to you, the DPD box that had yeah. all the the uh, stuff written all over. Mine was only gone like a few days. It was really quick. Mm. Yeah, I ended up because I, I wasn't going to wait. I, I, like we'll go into it about the games, but it's um, I couldn't wait, so I ended up going out and thinking, well, I'm not buying another premium. I'm not buying another arcade. I'm just going to go for... Because the, the assumption was that the premium was a better built console. Yes. <laughs> um, I went out and got one of them. And yeah, so that was that's how I ended up with all three of them. All three yeah. of them have now been repaired twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was talk at the time, and I can't remember the specifics, but there were people talking about if you get one, it wants to be manufactured after a certain yeah, date because it has a different chipset and yeah. stuff in it. There was something about a Jasper chipset <laughs> mm-hmm. in the in the original mm-hmm. ones or in the arcade uh, in the premiums. Yeah, they all had different like the drives yeah. version of them. Yeah, they're different I manufacturers of drive and so different, many problems with them originally. There were there are a lot of configurations, yeah. but actually that's always true with consoles. It's just that yeah. normally it doesn't become. Uh, such a such oh, a matter of relevance. Yes. Also, as, no one ever knows about it normally. Also, as a, a mistake, I think from Microsoft's point of view, releasing a console without a hard drive stand was a silly idea. I get the idea of trying to reduce costs, but there was a lot of complaints from developers that were like, "Well, we can't take any advantage of a hard drive because yeah. we don't know if you're going to have one or not." And it was a yeah. split even, their user base from yeah, from the a bugbear. Well, you even had updates at the time as well, so you had a problem with updates. If anything mm-hmm. was updated, then mm. you were kind of screwed if you didn't have a hard drive in there. Yeah, you know, you had to have them. that five twelve little dongle right. and and yeah. Like save files and stuff, you can still go through your, you know, your save files on your Xbox 360. And I, you know, you go down that list of them. It's like, well, if I have, you know, more than about 30 or 40 games, I'm not going to have enough room on a 512 megabyte hard drive to save all of them properly. I, did, 
especially not if you're making multiple saves. And I do stuff wonder if Microsoft knew that the uh, the price that uh, Sony was going to release that they wouldn't have maybe uh, <laughs> been quite so quick yeah. to to do that. But it, you know, the idea once again, the price it's 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 king for a while. Yeah, so, and uh, I'm sure it, sure it sold a few. Do you remember? I remember. Well, I, I was reminded the other day as I was having a clear out and reconfiguring my my den. I found my transfer kit, oh, yeah, which was yeah. Oh, yeah. How, you, how you got all your gunk from one Xbox over to another, mm-hmm. one 360 over to another, had a, involved a little cable and a disc yeah, yeah. Uh, and all that kind of stuff. I presume that Pre-cloud. was pre- predominantly for upgrading from a premium to an elite yeah. and then possibly later on from an elite to uh, an S. Yeah. Because uh, the elite and the S have got totally different hard drives. Yeah, no, I don't think... Uh, I don't think I had to. I can't remember what I did to transfer hadn't over they, to the Slim. Hadn't they already in, uh, included cloud saves for by the time the Slim came out? Though? Yeah, possibly. I think that's. I think that's that's what happened then. Yeah, just mm. re-downloaded stuff. Um, yeah, so the Slim came out in 2011, which is I think still quite a nice looking machine. I think the mm. f- for me, talk, let's talk about the aesthetic of the original machine. I thought it was it was quite nice. It was uh, it was quite pleasing on the eye, mm. but I think. I always associate it with the uh, uh, the Red Ring of Death now, uh-huh. so it kind of has a kind of, like, yeah. I see it and wince. Mm. Um, the only one I never had hands on, I've never even seen outside of a display cabinet in a CX, is the final model, which was the E. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know that these things actually exist in the wild. I've never had any proof of them. Yeah, they but- were, late, late, as is often the case with console generations or, or models, they release one last kind of cheapest version um, mm. but i th- i don't mm. i don't know of any issues with them at all mm. the e but um no, never I, heard of I stopped it. at the slim yeah. Yeah, no, was it uh, was it visibly noticeably different to yeah, the yeah. slim so yeah, they, design, yeah they yeah. look like an xbox yeah. one or the original model of xbox yeah, okay. one they've got the line down the middle and the the x button thing differently like yuli and yeah. i've seen it in csx's window <laughs> that's right yeah. i thought you knowing what you're like i thought you'd have just bought one to have a have the no set, i think it but, came out uh, really late in the in the system's life it did didn't it? Yeah. i think you know it was just before the it was just before the xbox one yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I've stuck with the S, and I still th- it's got that kind of X uh, sort of dug into it, as it were. So when you stand it up, it sort of makes a slightly off kilter X. It's an hourglass shape. It, they were originally Kinda. the original ones were sort of like would, that. I thought it was supposed to be, um, you know, aesthetically yeah. would, pleasing curves. The, the I remember the original sales pitch was ridiculous. You know, this is just absolutely kind of um, I don't know. Just ridiculous talk of it. It was meant to um, show somebody inhaling. Rather like, like yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. A, like an inhale uh, architecture. It was really just like, mm. okay, sure. Well, yeah, I mean, the hourglass shape I always assumed was just supposed to be, you know, based off of what an attractive looking person, feminine shape yeah. would be like. You know, I personally don't have any experience of that, but that was my assumption. Mm. I, I always liked the look of the, the the system. I mean, I'm curious how everybody had it because when I had my first premium, mm. that I had that one laid flat. And then oh. after the first red ring, because I got so kind of paranoid about that, about heat, I actually yeah. put it upright and had it then, once I swapped it out with the arcade body, I had that one upright and I've had it upright. I had it upright ever since until I, you know, yeah. stopped. I, I had both. I, I used it both. I think my mm. I think my original one red ringed when it was laying down. <laughs> and I think so, yeah, after that, I kind of kept it standing up. And the yeah. Slim I've always had standing up pretty much. I've got my uh, original copy of Oblivion that I got with the machine. I think lasted for about two weeks. 
before uh, I got the idea in my head that you could switch the console from being vertical to being uh, horizontal. Not with the disc in. And, no, <laughs> not with the disc in, apparently, but nobody had told me that. They and did it wasn't, put that warning it wasn't out there. on. I turned it off, and then I guess I moved it before the disc had completely stopped <laughs> yeah. spinning down. It Scratch ended up with job. a lovely, like, perfectly circular scratch around it. So. I'd forgotten that. Yes, that yeah. was another of the things yeah, thought, that you... Yeah. It was known mm-hmm. on forums and things like, don't ever move your console when it's got a disc in it. Oh, the, the yep. original console ate discs as well, randomly. You'd get a bad lens right. placement and it would just scratch people's yeah. discs so, I remember they were yeah. talking about, yeah, again, the drive manufacturer. Is it Hitachi or yes. is it a whatever else? Yeah. In my yeah. first 360, the one that I bought in July, it lasted me until about March of the following year. It was not long after I had Xbox Live, yeah. but at that point, it had already started having problems with reading discs. And I didn't exactly know what the problem was, but I had a couple of games at that point that when you put them in, there would be kind of a 50-50 chance whether it would work or whether it would pop up with a weird error message that said something like, please insert this Xbox 360 disc into a an Xbox 360 console. Mm, so yeah. I, I assumed in my head that this was the error message that would occur if you put a 360 game into like a standard DVD player. So at that point, the console had obviously stopped realizing that the yeah, discs right. were discs. That's exactly it, yeah. That got sent off to Germany to get fixed. Came back, month later, same thing, sent off, fixed. And I think that happened four times to that console before I, I you, you know. You look in, after you know, stuff better. I, I don't blame <laughs> myself for it. I blame Microsoft. <laughs> but I, I never had the red ring in that first year. But between buying it and then... Yeah, the the end of the first year. I think it went to Germany three times, and then the fourth time it happened, I just kind of decided in my head, you know, sod this. I'm not being without the console again for three weeks. So I went back to the game that I'd bought it from, told the guy behind the counter that I'd spoken to Microsoft customer support, and they told me, because it had been so many times, they said, just go back to game and get it fixed. And the guy in game was like, well, that doesn't sound like the sort of thing Microsoft would say. But fine, I mean, he, he was probably like 19, didn't give a crap about it. So they just gave me a brand new console. And then I think that was the one that might have had the red ring at some point later yeah. on. But yeah, the, the um, disk drive errors were rife as well. Now, who had customizable customizable faceplates for their console? Yeah, that I was had cool. one. I got, I got one free with Soul Calibur 4, which I had on for a while and then realized that I thought the console looked nicer without yeah, it and took that's, it off. There were tons of them. I got one with a, a um, Steelbook edition of Dead Rising, which I think you were supposed to pre-order it for, and the guy in the shop told me that they were limited to like 500 of these Steelbooks and faceplates in the whole world, which sounds like bollocks now. <laughs> like, did they really only make 500 of these? So I had that on my console, I think, pretty much up until the point where uh, they stopped manufacturing the ones that have the customizable faceplates. The S and I suppose the E, you can't take them off. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to say I missed that. <laughs> really nice. It was kind. It was kind of cool. I mean, was they it? were pretty lame at the same time, but <laughs> it was it was nice the idea that you could customize. You could buy some look- really really naff looking ones in yeah, oh, yeah. station. Yeah. That's, that's the equivalent of I scanning mean, your skateboard in and being able to use it in Connect. You know? It's a tribal <laughs> tattoo on the front of their it's, 360. It's also like um, you know, I'm sure if you go on eBay now and search for like yeah, 360 customization, Xbox One customization, there are just millions of pages of you know sticker, a sticker yeah. that you can buy to put on your. On your controller that looks like a load of weed leaves or like know. a confederate. Maybe flag I might start a faceplate like collection <laughs> just for fun. 
I remember having a Viva Pinata one that was so badly knockoff that it didn't fit on the proper on the front God. of the console properly. But it was in a, like a game bargain bin for like two pounds something. So it looked kind of cool. But yeah, get it home. It's like this doesn't actually like the clips don't all fit at the same time. But yeah, I don't know. I was I was twenty when I got my console. I'm above criticism. So tech wise, the machine actually went through nine, I think, distinct revisions from Xenon through Zephyr, Falcon, Opus, Jasper, Kronos, which was Jasper version two, Trinity, Corona, and Winchester. Uh, probably the uh, key differences were that the RAM got a little bit faster. And so you would notice that on the dashboard and certain loading situations uh, and the power supply got far less thirsty. By the end, uh, you were only consuming 120 watts instead of 203 watts in 2005. Um, but the key thing, and I remember noting this, and it, and it did make sense, talking to Dennis Dyack, who we did a lengthy interview with some years ago. He was a developer, still is a developer, but was working in kind of, yeah, uh, in the Xbox 360 arena at this time. And when we talked to him, he said that pretty much the both console manufacturers were kind of blindsided by the boom in HDTV. And as such, the infrastructure, the architecture of both consoles wasn't really designed to deal with 720p even, let alone 1080. Hence, it's very interesting now watching our friend John Linneman on Digital Foundry talking about trying to find games from this generation that actually run at anything approaching a smooth 30 frames, like how rare they were, mm. especially with all the PC ports and things like that. They were making, they were s squeezing a lot of quartz into pint pots. This was a console here that was really based around a sort of 2003, four PC, you know, like mid price PC spec. And so by the time it was still trying to pump out games in 2012 2013 it was uh, although obviously they'd uh, they the developers had worked out a lot of you know good methods and and tricks and skills to getting the most out of it uh it would have been probably would have been a very different generation if hdtv hadn't kind of come along and, and kicked off so much in that we might have seen more games obviously running at 480i or 480p but that would have run at smoother frame rates. However, I feel like in hindsight, I don't know, it's interesting. Like I'm quite glad we made the leap to HD and obviously now we're stroke we're having the exact same situation again with 4K, which is where that the current gen machines are struggling mm -hmm. to output 4K at, at smooth frame rates. There's always the trade-off, but it is it is a curious situation. I ended up getting my first 720p screen a handsfree, you know, one of those Scandinavian ones, um, <laughs> off, uh, or, yeah, off online for like three hundred quid in two thousand seven. Eventually upgraded to something better a year later. After that one died very quickly, and I remember, you know, it was very exciting going HD. Um, yeah, what what what's everyone's memories about that sort of side of things? I mean, it's interesting because the the consoles itself really. I think the original launch sort of trilogy, if you will, with the premium arcade and, and elite, it was only the elite that actually had a built-in HDMI. That's correct. Yeah. And it was like, 
you had to get an adapter otherwise. Yeah, yeah. yeah Which, I, I remember the cable on it being like a proprietary thing that went into the back of the Xbox and then yeah, it yeah. split into... It came um, with composite. It, it, it had an yeah. AV and a composite all on like the same thing. It came, the Xbox 360 and the PS3 came with composite cables. They didn't even expect mm. you to use RGB SCART. I mean, wow. I think that's a, cu- a cost-cutting I mean, exercise more than anything, but yeah, even so. Yeah, but it, <laughs> was yeah, such but it also shows how... how stupid kind of, idea. Yeah, I mean, it, it was those early days where they weren't really prepared for the HD stuff. They that sort of as each iteration of the hardware came in, that stuff was accommodated more and more. But I've never run it via HDMI for HD. In two thousand and six, I think it was March, April two thousand and six. I bought the plasma, which I, I still use to this day. But in the back, it's got a VGA and it's got a DVI input. Yeah, that's right. what I used for. I used the VGA because you could get wow. um, a proprietary <laughs> VGA cable for the Xbox you 360. Could, yeah. Yes, yeah, and that's how I got my first sort of move from HD. Went through that because it would accommodate 720. It didn't even have component in that screen. Um, it does, but it, it like I would. I was very fussy about. I mean, I've got I've got about half a dozen like component scarts. I've got component cables, component scarts. I went through the whole iteration of that stuff before I went to the VGA. Yeah. Before I got that TV, I had it hooked up to a component thing through my CRT. And so I was really particular about that stuff. But when I moved over to the Plasma, I, I, because it had a VGA slot and I knew that the, I could get a, a proper V, you know, I was first party everything as well. I would never settle for third party things most of the time. If I could get first party, that's yeah, what I would so you do. Should. You, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just feel, usually, well, you know that that's going to work. Not always. Yeah. But, Actually, but, these days there's a lot of well, there third is party manufacturers who are... It's changed, but back then I was I was just, I didn't want to yeah. have to replace it when I found out that it wouldn't work properly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so like hooking it up, it meant that I wasn't using the HDMI, I wasn't using the component leads, I just had it straight into VGA, and that's how nice. I've always had it hooked up. You know, Dreamcast it, owners still swear by a VGA, of course, it's the best yeah. way to run I, that, unless you get a mod I was, um I was lucky because I was really into home cinema um, at this point, and I still am, mm. um, but then I had a, a really nice uh, plasma screen TV, I had when I was running laser disc players and DVD players and stuff, so I was well aware of what um, you know. I, I wanted a you know, a decent TV, and I, you know, so I used c- the capabilities of, I suppose, the Xbox 360 and HD ever since the day it came out, um, with mixed results. But I, I remember actually the first game, and, and this is a close to launch um, game. Um, the first game that really made me go wow, um, which is so quaint now because I go back, I've been back to it, and it runs terribly. Mm. Was the original yeah. Ghost Recon, um, right? Uh, Grawl, yeah. and it. Cause I think because it had this yeah. um, really, really kind of um, orangey bright color palette that just popped yeah. off the screen. Something incredible mm. back then, and I remember seeing the the smoke effects. I I say this now. I go back to the game, and it looks awful. <laughs> it really does, <laughs> yeah. and it's the yeah. old mind's eye. Um, the frame rate is terrible. Yeah, but it's. I remember that at that point thinking. Holy moly! We are, you know, this is mm. we are literally into the next gen here, um, and to to see, you know, that as an example, and then by the end of the console's life, how developers have managed to wrangle, you know, that older tech and and play some of the games it did. Yes, okay, the frame rates were always just that, that side of, you know, struggling, but it, it's really quite impressive. And then same in this generation, you know, it's you know that 
this generation's text based on like mobile architecture and to, to, to see something, you know, even like the last of us two running, it's like, how are they even doing that? It's, it's incredible. And yeah, but yeah, the 360, it, it was to me that, that jump originally to, to HD, that was that kind of, this does feel like a, a next gen leap along with all the other online stuff and, and guff that came with that. Yeah. I think at the time I also, like when I first came home with the 360, uh, I had our old TV that I think my dad had probably bought in about 1997 mm. or something sitting in the front room, and I'd eventually requisitioned that and taken it upstairs. So I had my GameCube, my original Xbox hooked up to it, and they were they would have either been on SCART or just on the you know the RGB cables. Uh, and I had been playing leading up to the point that we got the or I got the 360. I'd been playing an absolute ton of Morrowind, like probably about 300 hours of it over the course of the previous couple of months. So I came home with the 360, plugged it into the same old crappy TV with the RGB cables because I didn't know any any different at that point, and uh, booted up Oblivion. So my immediately my mind was just blown from the fact of I've gone from you know one game that was released four years ago to something that was released three months ago, and you know the difference in quality between that is just absolutely outstanding. I mean it was probably still running at 480p. Um, maybe three months, four months later than that, uh, I decided to finally splurge on my first HD TV. Probably just not really knowing that much about it, but probably just because I knew it was a thing that existed and it was supposed to be good. So I went out. I want to say I spent something like six hundred pounds on an LG LCD TV at the time. Came home with it. Promptly plugged the three sixty into it with the RGB cables. <laughs> Mm. Um, because you know, I was that was twenty. I didn't know any better. I didn't it's know that much about it. I just stuff. knew that it was supposed to be better. Well, it's like people in. now who still like, haven't turned on the four K on their um their four K TVs. <laughs> point out that this was the first time in history that I think I felt like my dad. Like this was like I've turned into my father. It plugged this thing in, booted up Oblivion. Noticed that disappointingly it didn't look as good as I was expecting it to look. I thought it would be an upgrade. I remember Mm. booting it up and actively thinking, this might look worse than it did on the CRT. CRT TVs at that resolution were way better. They are just, yeah, yeah, just like I remember looking at the bars at the bottom, like the health bar and the mana bar and the stamina bar, thinking that looks kind of blurry and pixelated. Like there's a degree of not polishedness to that <laughs> that I don't remember on the previous telly. There so, are still I, many advocates for CRTs. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, them. but probably not for playing on the 360. Probably <laughs> at least not, not. Not playing Although, Oblivion on the 360 with an Scan RGB lines. cable. Yeah, so, it depends yeah. what you're playing. I think game. It's a game. Game for game situation. When well, you're going to play Doom on the arcade, then fine. Are <laughs> you playing yeah. like Mr. Driller? Perfect. Uh, but yeah, so I. I I guess I just kind of thought, well, I spent 600 quid on this thing. It must be better. (laughs) And I just kind of lived with it for a few weeks until I think my cousin came over who at that point, like I said before, I was, I was probably 20, maybe pushing 21 at this point. My cousin was about seven years younger than me. He came over and I remember him looking at it and being like, what the hell are you doing? Why have you, why have you got the (laughs) RGB cable hooked into this, this like really fancy brand new LG TV. And he switched over to the component cables and, 
that I was just that was the point where I was like, oh, oh my god, I am my father. I am twenty one, <laughs> yeah. and I am my father. Who the first time that I remember seeing him using a computer, he picked up the mouse and pointed it at the computer <laughs> like it was a remote control with the TV. Yeah, and that yeah, I I don't think I'll ever forget that moment of being like, ah. Oh, it's easily done, even even those who are relatively tech savvy. It is a minefield. And of course, yeah, like the first LCD I bought, the, the 720p1 1080i one, cheap one, it it looked, I could see the difference. Like, yes, more pixels. Uh, but, you know, overall, the the image quality was not amazing. The blacks weren't great. The the color, you know, the brightness wasn't amazing. I noticed a, a big old upgrade when I, I got a nice, well-reviewed Toshiba a, a year later. Um and that one is still going. My niece now plays her Wii U and Switch on that one. <laughs> There's so that's done a fantastic service. It must have been on for tens of thousands of hours. Um, but the point being is that but, maybe they should have put a bit more time and effort into beefing the consoles up for HD if they really knew it was going to get indeed. Um, yeah, blow out the way. It yes, did. it's uh, it's hard going back sometimes mm. to the 720p and below games. They they can look pretty rough. Yeah, there's a point with the console thing, though, because I think even like with the current generation where we're moving into 4K, one of the problems, I suppose, is when you look at the you look at how many people who, at the time in 2005, early mm-hmm. 2000, you know, into 2006, the the penetration rate for HD screens was minuscule. I mean, even low. now, yeah. I think 4K screens are only running at 13 percent. Now, that's general consumer. But then if you decide, if you break that down into how many of those are gamers, I'm sure that percentage is way higher. I, True. But, I think the difference now is that, you know, you can't really buy a screen. that or You can buy smaller screens at 1080p, but most screens are now 4K. And I think that's that's the saturation point, isn't it? Is when they, they change that whole, well, this is just what the standard is now. And I think, but that yeah. there was a lot of people that, you know, people won't buy, upgrade well, a TV until yeah. it breaks. And there was a lot of people just, you know, analog TVs, until it broke to go to But I think the way we go about that, the way the technology is introduced to us now has changed as well because now Netflix, you know, you have one Netflix. You don't have to buy a new Netflix. It's like, that's Netflix. Now, if, as you upgrade, the the but, quality of the picture upgrades with it. So there's more push now. There's easier ways to kind of integrate that stuff. Whether as back then, mm-hmm. when you moved into sort of HD, it was... You know, yeah, you had to buy into all this tech just to benefit from anything. It wasn't it the, the kind of that that same gamble that they took with the original Xbox, which was you know we're going to add a, an, an Ethernet port to the back of this and and you know allow yeah, yeah. internet to be and it was scoffed at and you know it was fought against and it turned out to be an absolute you know genius thing for them to get a foothold in the market. Yeah, but that's Microsoft. I mean, if anybody's going to understand the internet on a way that even you know none of the others could predict it i mean microsoft knew what they were doing with that stuff to a degree probably better than most yeah so it, it made sense and that was their what that was their in and it worked without question it worked for them yeah you know it's mm-hmm. so the front end this was obviously not the first console that had a front end when you fired up your ps2 you had mm-hmm. a even the ps1 had a very limited dashboard a cd player memory card management and so on and so forth the xbox the original Xbox, of course, had a little bit more to do in there. And then, but probably this was the first console where the the front end was a whole kind of interface to the world of the console, which you were... Yeah, it, it felt like more a, like a PC than a console. Like yeah, you booted it, but And it was much, like going into Windows. And then if you wanted to play the game, 
you clicked on the thing, like on the PC, you'd go to your CD drive and play your game. I suppose, yeah, it was a lot. It, it was meant to feel a lot friendlier and, and more fun than Windows, certainly back in the mid 2000s. I suppose we should, you know, we have to start with the original dashboard, which was mm. the Blades, which I loved many, the many yeah, people everyone loves the Blades. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. I, I have, almost I have no nostalgia for the place whatsoever. Like. Really, I don't think it's true. But there was there was nothing there. There was nothing to go through on them. The console was so simple at that point. Yeah, but I I remember just because it was different to anything else I'd mm-hmm. seen at the time. Any other well, I mean any other console. I mean it was like the GameCube, the PlayStation, and you know the original Xbox. It was. You know, with the original Xbox, just had that up and down kind of scrolling menu. But yet with this, it felt. You know, it felt modern in comparison, and it was in color. <laughs> you had the little <laughs> color code in orange, green. Yeah. You know, I liked all that. Like from a from a, I guess from a user point of view, I just liked it. I really, I really. From the moment you kind of loaded it up, it kind of hit you that it was something different. But and you could customize it as well, mm. like the, the themes and stuff that you could stick on it. That I still yeah. look back at my 360 now, and there are themes that I've either downloaded for free or bought that are very obviously they were based around the blades this was designed to be a picture that you saw behind those blades oh. if you you apply that to the thing now it looks like absolute crap because it's like stretched out of weird resolutions mm. or yeah. you know the majority of it now sits behind the rest of the interface but you could you can tell like what was designed to go with the blades it was like simple as you say color-coded and fast yeah and it was a it was this landing hub for you turning on the console and it, it was always about originally mm. just you know you play new games and that's it. and there's nothing wrong with that but there was Something about turning on the the Xbox 360 and it being a world of gamers around you, and that's such marketing speak. But it, you know, I had friends on there. I could see who was playing what. I had, you know, as as John alluded to earlier, I'd go on there purely just to see what new trailers I could download, and I'd download them and and watch them and save them, and had massive folder of stuff that was just you know superfluous to the actual game marketing materials. But it was but yeah, an environment. Yeah, yeah. It was like having a magazine every day that updated for you and obviously the web and all that stuff but it's we're all in infantry at that point of just you know it made me feel special as a gamer and i you know the dreamcast Mm. had done that stuff the pc had obviously done that stuff but and the Xbox had done that stuff and they had done it successfully but this was different this was making me feel like i you know i'd come into an arena and been a special you know person and it's hard to put that into into context now because it sounds so quaint as I'm saying it, but it was a different time. It was a no, it was it was it was a big deal. Broadband was a game changer mm-hmm. because yes, you could on the Dreamcast you had your disc and you could go into the Dream yeah. Arena and whatever, but you had to do dial up and everything loaded very slowly and so on and so forth. Here, this was uh, and yes, obviously the Xbox original also had broadband capability, but here it was just kind of. It, it was always on like it was just and and there was yeah it was just more avenues mm. and portals in this mm. ecosystem to other things that you might be interested in i'm just remembering yeah. uh inside xbox you know yeah, yeah. all of all of which all of those yeah. people some of them are yeah. still at microsoft some of them are now working on on the youtube channels um but weirdly none of them seem to have aged which is a bit <laughs> frightening but stays with us um, yeah maybe so but uh but all that stuff was like it was uh, because i was thinking earlier with these other shows in the earlier 
eras we've done like oh do, you know what magazines do you remember but that's barely relevant yeah. with the xbox 360 because mm-hmm. we we're in the internet era there were i you know i found the official xbox magazine and a couple of others but i had no interest in talking about them the thing that was relevant obviously was the independent internet and all the websites but yeah. also inside xbox and the stuff that you got from mm. microsoft itself actually and they they kind of with that stuff they tapped into quite a good vibe i think they got good you know good witty talented journalists mm. to present things in a way that was both accessible but also and inclusive interestingly it was produced like it it was british like so much of the, the stuff was coming from i assume it was different no depending i don't on where yeah, you were. Re- yeah there was region wasn't it but i actually they, think the inside have... xbox boys that they were doing a lot of stuff in america as well and girls yeah okay um uh and um and don't we forget of course the, um, we used to get jessica trover yeah, too she she's ign yeah. What was the um, when they released the or they launched the indie store? They had that uh, independent child show with uh, Robert Florence. Mm. I don't know oh, who yeah. he was working with at the time. God, and that what was, a good memory! That was like relatively short-lived and just mm. this weird, bizarre, surrealist little thing that Completely he did. Completely, yeah, totally out there. Very much, yes, like um, the sort of the Xbox equivalent of Paul Rose's digitizer or something. It, like yeah, that. exactly. I, I can't imagine them shipping that over to America because I can't imagine anybody <laughs> being able to know <laughs> what the hell he was with, talking with about. subtitles. Yeah, maybe. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, wow, I'd forgotten that. And I think uh, yeah, I alluded to earlier that um, sort of shows and stuff that were yeah. exclusive. Uh, I remember watching um, the web series The Guild. Yeah, and I yeah, think right. that that was released mm. exclusively or like early through the um, Xbox Live for a mm. certain period of time. Like the first few series of that, I remember downloading that like every week, waiting for it to come out. Mm. Being like, I'm going to watch that. Yeah, they'd... it's it's just so far beyond what I thought of as what a console would have been. Yeah, and and in some respects, that stuff is is it's just not the same anymore. Whether people it's not. what happened way more cynical. YouTube. Yeah, I mean, YouTube happened. Yeah. Um, they've yeah, they obviously, you know, you know, Microsoft, them, well. Microsoft <laughs> themselves. No, I mean, when when the Xbox came out, YouTube wasn't even a thing. So it's like, like it's about the I same think, time, isn't it? Yeah, streaming barely existed. So you've got this thing where I think over that generation, by the time we moved into the next gen, that stuff wasn't relevant anymore because people weren't watch using the consoles for that sort mm. of thing. They all had web browsers on as well, and then like like John mentioned earlier, you know they added these as apps anyway, yeah. and so it it just the dynamic changed, the the landscape changed with it all, and you know it's it's not a negative in any way. It was definitely a, a you know just just the way that the tech and the the internet has evolved over the last sort of 10, 15 years anyway. It's just like skyrocketed but, at this point. But I also think then, once again, that plays back to the, the Sony versus Microsoft thing. I, I think there was this element of Microsoft being this Western company that just, I don't know, maybe it got the culture that it, I mean, if it was, it, and it still remains very American focused. Like it, it still feels too far that way. And it's taken them a very long time for them to get that kind of that that whole mentality of we are this Western company in particular. We treat, you know, our you know North America as our primary ter- territory, and that was a thing back then. Well, but it it, it, yeah. it felt like it was programming content delivered to this Western audience rather than and you know and it had its own downsides that strategy. But at that time, it felt like somebody was talking to me in my own environment rather than just you know a more kind of Eastern. You know, mindset of and and we'll bring these games across. You know, Microsoft were making this mm. massive push from Western developers. You know, Gears of War being you know, and Epic being one of those those big things at the time is like, no, look, we can make games here, like and big games, and it, you know, it's 
once again, very different time. <laughs> it feels a very different time. Yeah, but I also think they were also hands down responsible for a lot of the dude bro toxicity. Oh, absolutely. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so after a few years of the Blades, there was a, I guess it was kind of a big hype announcement. And this was the thing that uh, actually kind of, I, I think it was, there was some issue with getting the NXE working on if you still had an arcade or a core machine, just about you had to cram it in there or something. But this was the the revised dashboard that kind of made everything much more um, visual, pictorial, and feel a bit more like a. I don't know. I'd, uh, I I really liked it. and the, the 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 dash that I've still got now was kind of the sort of 2.0 version of the NXE where they yeah. tweaked a few things, mm. possibly unnecessarily, but. But there it is, uh, and it's still kind of based around that. And I still prefer it to the Xbox One's dashboard. <laughs> like, it still feels like a friendlier, more human place. Consistent. At least they haven't been constantly updating it for the last you know, yeah. seven years. And every yes. time you get used to it, they change it. At least well, the one that's still, on yes. the 360 And apparently now. they're sticking with, with what we've got for the next uh, generation, which I kind of approve of because mm. they have changed it so much. But that's for another show. The NXE... Uh, slowed things down a bit on certain systems i think but um but overall it was i thought it was a breath of fresh uh, like air any of time. these systems the moment you have too many games they, they my xbox 360 when the time it was yeah, full right. of games would take mi- minutes for the, the ring yes. to just carry on circling as i tried to scroll through the yeah. game it, but once again you release a system and you don't have that stuff yeah, you think okay, we're going to have a dashboard, but you don't think how how important it's going to become to the system. Five hundred gigs worth. Yeah, of games it's just, and it's you know, yeah, like the, the modern day. Even they struggled some some of the modern day stuff, but you know, now they they make sure that they have separate RAM put to one side just to do with, with those processes right. because you know that stuff does take um, resources, and that and that was absolutely clear by the time the three sixties. Anyone end. else? Anyone else scared of doing firmware updates back in the day because it <laughs> felt like a scary thing to do to your console? Like, I'm completely used to it now, obviously. Yeah, but- I don't think I ever was that hesitant to do it because I always jumped on that stuff straight away. But there was plenty of times where I wasn't happy with their changes and you kind of think, but I like the older system more. <laughs> That's always but it the was way just, Yeah, exactly. So it was just that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But I always, I've always been kind of that put you know you, you do it just because you you assume there's probably security stuff in there as well so all that kind of crap so i was never yeah. bothered about doing them in the first place but i used to I get think nervous thinking it was going to brick every time well yeah always <laughs> been scared that it will somehow yeah like factory reset my console because i had about a year after I got mine, uh, I moved from the UK to Australia. And I immediately, when I got to Australia, I started having problems with the Xbox because obviously it's, you know, it's a UK Xbox. It's got a Region 2 DVD player built into it. The games are supposed to all work, but various things didn't really ever sort themselves out properly. At that point, you couldn't just say, oh, I'm, you know, I've moved switch my, you know, my store region over to the new place. So yeah. I'd, I've always had the uh, the UK 360 with the UK store built into it. So for years while I was living in Australia, you know, I had to go on eBay or other websites similar to CD keys to buy things like Xbox Live Gold or credit because yeah. I couldn't just go into a shop and buy it because it wouldn't work. Yeah. And not that long after I got there, this 360 started playing up. And 
I remember talking to the guy um, on Microsoft support, customer support, or whatever it was, and he told me um, something along the lines of, like, delete your gamertag off the console and re-download it. Mm. And I remember doing what this guy said, or at least I think I did what this guy said, and the outcome of it was it because the because my gamertag no longer existed on the console for a short period of time, all the save games that were tied to that gamertag deleted themselves because they were like oh we don't you know we don't have a gamertag associated to us anymore so they all disappeared so i lost hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of save games across probably 50 or 60 different games so yeah what you're saying about like updates and console firmware and stuff every time anything like that has happened i've had this like you know immediate brain sort of reaction of but what if what if it deletes yeah. your at least you keep all your achievements again because those well, were always true. saved I mean, to your kind of online profile. Yeah, your gamer tag stays, but I did lose something like four hundred hours in Oblivion yeah, it's and pretty had bad. to start playing that again. Yeah, and I I maintained that it was the fault of the Xbox support guy, but God. Hmm. Another thing that came along was this the same time as the NXE with the avatars? I, I was trying to remember that it felt like so. it was. Yeah. yeah, designed by Rare, the, uh, the the studio that had been acquired yeah. ten plus years earlier, of course, from Nintendo, and the avatars were disappeared for a few years, but are now back on Xbox One. Have been for a couple of years, and they've even been upgraded, but they don't feel nearly so uh, prominent on Xbox mm. One. Like you, I pretty much hated these from the beginning. Yeah, yeah too cutesy. Yeah, just it just. Like I don't know. Yeah, maybe it was, it was that like it was a just step too too far. It's like breaching too far into your privacy. Of like, now tell us what you look like, and we we'll don't have make to. you no. Run but it was, it, they, they kind I of think did it was eventually. Just, it was just look completely of, absurd. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. It was just a sort of childlike, sort of cartoonish nature of them. I really just just yeah. really didn't I, care. It was. For it I mean, uh, overall, it was Microsoft searching for that. You know, they they. They'd been branded, and I think legitimately so, as this kind of more adult-themed console. And you know, they they spent many a year trying to find ways of actually breaking into that market. Which at the time, you know, Sony were doing a fantastic job of being that that console that had a broad user base. And I think it was really seemed like, oh, you know, if you if you're a teen or an adult, you buy an Xbox. If you're anybody else, you can buy you know these other consoles. And Microsoft were clearly aware that they needed to, to broaden that horizon. The problem being, of course, is that's not everybody's cup of tea. So yeah, as much as you might bring a few people when you alienate a big core of your own base. And yeah, that would be something that they they would suffer for many years at the 360, just trying to kind of hit that balance. Um, I'm not even sure they've done it now, but, you know, uh, I think the avatars were the first initial signs of them trying to kind of reach mm. out. And, and bring a slightly yes. younger audience into their brand. And I suppose think they were thinking about the Wii as well at this yeah, point, which was so Mies big. Did exist before this? Were they before avatars and I'm compulsory? I'm not sure the timeline crosses, but yeah, we're into that territory. I mean, Microsoft have always had that, that image problem um, younger. I, mean, I don't think so now, but... Yeah, I think Wii, Wii Sports and, and DS sort of mania was, you know, 2006 yeah. onwards, and the NXE was 2008? Maybe. Yeah, it was it was a while. 
and the avatars and things like that. Not entirely sure. Uh, Alex79UK from the forum says, I bought an Xbox 360 around a year after launch with Dead Rising and Gears of War. It was the first console I'd bought for myself since the PS1. And after playing it for a short while on a standard definition TV, it prompted me to abuse my credit card even further and fork out for an HD Panasonic telly. The difference was incredible. I'd never seen HD games running before and playing Gears of War kind of blew me away. I've got so many memories of the fantastic games I played on that console. Several of my all-time favourites, Fable 2 and the Mass Effect trilogy, spring immediately to mind. But the biggest revelation for me was playing online on a console. Racing in Forza Motorsport, deathmatch in Halo, using the headset and mic, being a part of different communities, it all added up to such a brilliant console experience. Another huge thing for me about the 360 was having demos available for every single game on the store. In the early days, I'd download and try absolutely everything. It took me back to the days of PS1 demo discs on magazines, where you'd give everything a try because it was there. I've still got my launch model 360, 20 gig hard drive or whatever, and aside from the pads not holding a charge anymore, it's still going strong. I got the Red Ring of Death at one point, but the service from Microsoft was quick and efficient, and I was back playing again within a week. The 360 is a really important console, I think, and one that will be long remembered for really popularising online play in such a huge way. Leading the way with online stores and Xbox Live Arcade, it was a real trailblazer, the likes of which we shall probably never see again. It, that's kind of interesting because, I mean, we're, we're moving into Xbox Live chat anyway, but it is interesting to me because I, it didn't feel like that much of a leap for me personally because I was already using Xbox Live from the original Xbox. Yeah. And so it just felt like I literally didn't have to do anything. As soon as I'd, trans- I'd, I'd logged in on my account, that was it. It was, it was all there. And, you it know, still it- felt like a leap to me in the sense that everything was so much more neatly presented and it felt so much easier to join in with people and see what other yeah, people were doing. Like they'd obviously prioritized a lot of that stuff. And I feel where the real movement progression felt with that stuff was when they introduced like party chat. That's when it really started to sort yeah, of like think, sure. yeah, now we're in. But um, I'm kind of just curious. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I've still got it, but the little fur earbud has, has long since <laughs> yeah. deteriorated. But the um, I used to use the little wireless, and I still maintain it was still one of the comfiest um little Bluetooth wireless headsets that you know. I never had one of those. Piece. I just had the uh, the one out the box, but it was fine. Yeah, but this, I mean, I loved that. I, I genuinely, I mean. It was yeah, it was great because I could you know you go all over the house with that thing and and I, it had great mm-hmm. connection and it was so comfortable <laughs> you know it was just if you forget you're wearing it after a while it was so yeah good. unlike the PS3 one so oh god the, <laughs> yeah like the PS3 one I'd, I'd have to swap ears sometimes because it would <laughs> yeah. just hurt so much after yeah. I may have not had a, a number of Xbox Lite or Xbox 360 breaking but I had literally 20 headsets that broke over the time uh, oh well that damn cable wasn't it? I, just, I mean that's yeah. why I, I switched because I, I one day I caught that that thin little wire <laughs> and just yanked it straight out and I thought you know so that was that but it was like and I, I just thought it's yeah but it was it was free with the the thing so I mean you can't you know they weren't gonna spend yeah. a fortune money but with your little t-shaped uh, piece of plastic that sat on one side of your head God, it's been a long time since I've seen one. Yeah, of that's what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. but it was yeah. because it it hooked over your ear with the little rubber like loop that it had. That's what made it meant that it it sat there really comfortable. But yeah, I don't even know if it still works. I should try and charge it up. I think, but I probably 
long since dead battery inside. But here we go. Another thing that I think kept people glued to their Xboxes, mm. perhaps uh, beyond, formed a relationship with the ecosystem of that console beyond what had come before, was this little innovation, which some people still absolutely despise. There's a person on our forum who just thinks these are the devil. Whereas we have at least one person here who feels quite differently. Yeah, don't get me started. Achievements. It was right. quite a clever idea, I think. Yeah. Look, the achievements are, at one one hand, they are the little angel on your shoulder, and on the other hand, they are the little devil. So I, I completely understand each side of it. I have had some of the best experiences of my gaming life, yeah. thanks to achievements. Yeah. But also, yeah. you know, absolute pits <laughs> yeah. chasing after things that are just not realistically not worth doing. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, your own mileage may vary. but It will. And everyone, yeah. well, I'm sure we've discussed this within individual podcasts before, but they have been applied in so many different ways. And, and even yeah. within individual games, they've been beautifully implemented and terribly implemented and everything yeah. in between. But in a way, I know from our friend Rich's True Achievement site, which has been a massive success for him for over a decade now, part of the interest around achievements is actually that side of things, like how wild and wacky and different and how much you have to do to get them. And I'm talking as somebody who uh, has a casual passing interest in them and will very much take them or leave them. But I know that Tony is somebody in particular who has you know, spent a lot of probably... Maybe the majority of no, your gaming John's time in the right last decade. I mean, John still. I, I'm. Okay. You know, I. I have. Yeah. You know, uh, what's the word? Peaks and troughs with achievements. I tend to go crazy for a while, then then back away. And you mm. know, at the moment, I'm in a kind of just back away mode. And I and I think you know, like John, they they helped me. I think focus more time on having singular games, like just not just not jumping from one game to the next. It was a way of taking yeah. a game and you know you know from from both point of views from a developer to say hey maybe you you wouldn't have seen this and here's the ability to you know if you chase down the achievements you'll see this and of course that works the other way so you know so you get some developers that just couldn't care less and you get some developers that absolutely make it their fundamental core and have based games around you know the continued release of achievements and continued you know chasing of those achievements for people within communities you know the positives of it is for me is I've made a lot of friends through um, the chasing of achievements in different games, be it easy yeah. achievements or be it hard achievements. Um, yeah, have they changed the way that I play games for sure? But the mm. you know the the hallmark of a system to see whether it's been a success or not is whether other people copy or you know um, <laughs> you know run with those systems and. Okay, Nintendo being the outlier. Other than Nintendo, everyone uh, has. Steam has, much. you know, the PC, you know, yeah. iPhones and, you know. <laughs> Sony yeah, jumped Sony at the chance had, almost. Well, they, they, they didn't yeah. at the start, but then just people no, like that. I, you know, people are playing my games over here because I want to do this. And, you know, they released this trophy system. And in some regards, yeah. the trophy system is better. And in some regards, the achievement system can be better. And it's, and it, but it's this, as an, and as an idea, and certainly back on the 360, it was an idea that got put in right at the last moment. And we're talking like was it? two or three uh, months prior to the actual console's release. They were still fighting mm. whether they should or shouldn't have done it. And is anyone is there any one person credited with the the concept? Because I 
I think there I is think stuff. I can't remember. Since, since, yeah. Yeah. I've I've heard Child. a story about oh, somebody who thought it was a great idea, but I have no idea who um, that is anymore. Someone who talked about this was a thing that I wanted to implement. Everyone else said it was garbage. I pushed it. But there was yeah, an Edge article back in about 2007 that talked the about The most that. important thing, I think, for me, whether you want to chase achievements or whether you don't want to chase achievements, is the positive of it is it released a profile of your gaming history on that console. And be it PlayStation, be it Steam, where I can yeah. now, at, at a whim, I can just bring up a site or bring out if, you know, if I want to do it the old school way actually just look on my console and find yeah. the first game I played on the Xbox 360 now I'd love to think that I have that stuff just stored deep in my brain and for, for in particular I know that I probably played Hexic as the first Xbox 360 game because it was the first yeah. thing but Built in. I can yeah. I can drill down into that stuff and find it and mm. I think yeah. this is why people become so territorial over their platforms because I have a you know a history with achievements and anything I play in the future, like it's part of my gaming profile. Of course, I could spread that around multiple platforms, but you know, along with the friends and along with the games that I own for for that system, once you're tied into these ecosystems, and which Microsoft, whether they knew they were do- doing or not, they tied people into an ecosystem of their platform. And it's a bit like somebody going out now and buying an iPhone for the first time and then buying a thousand apps. Yes. It's very hard to break away from that because Absolutely. you're in that ecosystem. And and there's a good reason, like now, they want to release all digital consoles because once you made that initial payment for the first dozen games, it's very hard to think, well, I'll take those with me. That's my library. Obviously, people on PC have been doing this for years. They buy a PC and their games play across many generations. But, you know, or they don't, I, I have, I've had a really, really, really strong connection with achievements and it was from the very first day i mean i go back and i look and it wasn't just like oh you know six months in maybe i'll start chasing achievements i look i looked at my gaming profile and it was like i I clearly started playing cameo and thinking hey i'm gonna go for all the achievements in cameo and i remember the first one that made me really drive for it which nobody else i had there was a friend of mine at the time called uh shiny shiny disco balls (laughs) um (laughs) and we had a challenge of who could get the most Ridge Racer, uh, Ridge Racer 6, I guess it would have been at the time. Um, yeah. Achievements. Now, that game is does not give out achievements. And we spent hundreds of hours just chasing down who could essentially do the most race, the most wins and stuff. And it added an element to a game that previously I probably would have played for half an hour to an hour. Yeah. And there's me, you know, probably 200 hours into this game chasing these mm. ridiculous things. And I, I have a massively fun, a massive fun memory of that experience. I don't have a fun memory mm. experience of, you know, shooting pigeons in Grand Theft Auto, you know, taking, you know, ridiculous amount of hours. Yeah. But there, as John would say, which I know John has also done. Take the rough and the smooth. I also yeah. saw areas of Grand Theft Auto, which I would never have seen um, mm. in any other game. But, you know, each yeah. their own. But the implementation being so scattershot is such a... I think for some people that's the biggest problem. So you've got those games like the ones that people used to buy, especially just to rattle out a thousand achievement points like Avatar or whatever. But then you've also got legendary individual achievements like those on Geometry Wars where, uh, you know, the pacifism achievement, things like that, like achievements that were absolutely beautifully thought out and designed to for players to extricate their, 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 their maximum skill at the game and everything in but between. What I will say, and this, this is why I close my thing off about achievements, which is clearly I, you know, I have an affinity, as, as does John. 
I don't know why people get so angry、Neither、over whether somebody likes collecting achievements or not. It's it's weird. Like I enjoy it, but I've had people send me messages over Xbox Live saying some of the horriblest things because、really? I've got a high gamer score. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't go around the other way and go, oh, you've only got a thousand achievements, so I'm going to send you. It's, it's baffles to me、home. because all, all、yeah. these systems do is allow the person playing to express themselves in a slightly different way. If I want to chase those、you、things, can,、yeah. I will. If you don't, I don't care. Ignore, Ignore them. them. Turn the alerts off. off. It、them. doesn't matter. <laughs>、yeah. It's crazy.、Yeah. But it was yeah, an invention.、Yeah. That Microsoft came out with, and it changed the industry. Whether you think for the better or the worst, it still changed the way games. You know that that element happened. You know, there's plenty of people that chase trophies as well as chase achievements. Now, yeah, you know, I don't know about Steam, but I'm sure there is. Yeah, I think so.、Um, it must exist. <laughs> yeah, it's just, as I said, I've said it a million times on different podcasts. If they made a noise, people would like them more. That's the problem. They don't. They don't make a little piston noise when you collect one. If, if- I think personally,、uh, I like the achievement system. I like the gamer cards,、um, you know, whatever you want to call it, system as much as I do. Because, as Tony said, it is first and foremost, it is a record you, of、yeah. what I have been doing in my free time、yeah. <laughs> for at this point the last fourteen years. Like I can look back and yeah, see.、Oh、yeah, I was looking at it earlier. It's like. I played Singularity and I played through the entire thing and did all of the multiplayer and stuff within the course of about a month. And I'm sitting here, I think ten years later, wondering what I was doing that month that I must have spent like fifty hours also playing Singularity. It, it's a it's a really weird snapshot back at a past that you would、mm-hmm. never see something so perfectly. Like I can look at it now and be like, oh crap! You know, I was I was living in Eastern Australia. I was playing games with people who were in the UK and in America, and I was staying awake all night and going to bed at like nine o'clock in the morning because I wanted to play games with my friends who weren't in the same location as I was. That you can look back and I can see the specific days that I did an all-nighter to play games with my friends. Like, yeah, it's like it's, a little breadcrumb trail. Yeah, it, it, it's exactly what that is, and I'm sure that I will spend the rest of my life going back. Looking at that, thinking, "Oh, I played, I played so much Oblivion in, you know, August of twenty 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 oh six." They never switch it off. Well, do you know, do you One of my favourite things, as、crossed. I've said before, is when you and like I, I did this the other day, playing on three sixty just for this show, is seeing what the longest gap between achievements on、oh, a game is.、Mm. Yeah. So, like, I've got some that <laughs>、yeah. are from two thousand six, and then I'll pop、yeah. one in twenty twenty. Fourteen years makes it feel old. I've still got. Games that I started in two thousand and six, two thousand and seven, that I haven't finished yet,、yeah. and I still look at that. I mean, that's one of the things I've still got this Xbox three hundred and sixty hooked up. I will never put this thing away until I'm、yeah. satisfied that I've got all the achievements out of it that <laughs> I will ever get. You'll never bring a you know, death before it does. That, well, I've never heard of a red ring of death with the S series. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Yeah, 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 it is interesting with that stuff because I feel that if I if there's、uh, if there's a time where I, I Go back to play an Xbox. That I know that the first thing I'm going to do is see what were the last、mm. 
achievement was that I got on that system mm-hmm. and just out of curiosity I mean it's just yeah yeah where yeah. was where was your stopping point yeah like, what was what was it that you were playing yeah. when you decided I, see, I can't even this. remember that to be honest then well I've got ideas but without looking at that mm. that's what I would use as a as a bench you know it's like you that's your marker right there isn't it it's like you know you got this on like you know February of 2010. Yeah, it'll tell you down to the minute when yeah. you stop but, playing that 360, yeah. when the last time that you got but, an achievement But once again, this, com- this comes back to the core central theme, which we've been talking about, the 360 so far, which is Microsoft decided to make a console which it highlighted its its user as the central person. Like, it gave them a identity. It gave them a gamer tag. It, you know, you had to... I think, you, did you have to have a gamer tag to even play any kind of game? Like, it gave you... If you were offline, no. But the minute you signed onto yeah. so Xbox it, Live, it you gave have you a very specific an identity. identity. And you know, yes, we all played games for many years before that. And yes, we've all had these on weird online handles. Like my online handle is Ghost World. Now that is like that's fine. And like as online handles go, it could be a lot worse. Good comic but book. It's, yeah, but that's why because I was reading the comic book and I liked the film at, <laughs> at the time point, yeah. back when I created that handle. And mm-hmm. yeah, I could change it, but there's a certain kind of, I don't know, comfort about being called Ghostwell. Like that's that's become my profile. Yes. Like yeah. that is that's me. And now. that somewhat has been played into the way that Microsoft set up these profiles, achievements, all these things. I think personally they could have done a hell of a lot more. Both all the companies could do a hell of a lot more mm. of bringing that stuff back to the front of the consoles mm. because I feel like over the years unlike the 360 certainly in the early days it's been buried under many layers and actually you know if you want it it's not it is there but it's buried under layers like back when the 360 came out it was front and center this is me this is my profile and this is who i am and over the years it's just been pushed to the back yeah it's also it's always felt like a an extremely niche weird personality <laughs> thing for me you know you know you could meet somebody you know, when you're at school and you'd be into the same music and that would be like enough for you to become friends that, you know, you were into a subgenre of music that, you know, realistically, maybe 20% of the population also likes this. But you met this one person and that was the thing you bonded over. Or, you know, you met someone who also liked horror movies or something. And it's, you know, it's a wide thing that a lot of people are into, but it was still something that you and this person had in common. Now, people who want to spend 150 <laughs> hours running backwards and forwards into a circle on Gears of War 2 for the specific purpose of popping an achievement at the end of it. You meet somebody else who wants to do that. Friends of life. That <laughs> is a fairly <laughs> deep John, how did connection we with those people. Well, um, it was, was it Bioshock? Bioshock? Yeah, the Bioshock 2 um, online uh, multiplayer because we were boosting yeah. essentially the online multiplayer for, I think it was like hmm. wins or something wherever it would have been like a capture zone and yeah i came across john and like yeah. once again here we are like what how many years later oh, 10 years a yeah, decade later, years later. You know, john's worked with me and we've done yeah. things we're on the podcast and like yeah. Yeah. yeah friendships were formed with these with these systems and yeah it's yeah yeah once again <laughs> i went I, I traveled to japan and spent three days hanging out in Japan with a friend of mine who we'd also met playing video games on Xbox Live, specifically running in and out of a circle on Fear 2. Uh, And I've since been to Chicago and visited him there. I've got a handful of other friends who I've also visited in person because we originally met, you know, 
playing some stupid game, not even really playing the game, just grinding progress towards an achievement. Like it's a it's a thing that it feels like, yeah, when you meet someone else who's into that, that's such a, a weird niche thing that you the the compulsion in your head that you need to do this is a, a connection with someone who not many people understand the same thing. Another thing that compelled me to play perhaps more on uh, at certain kinds of games on Xbox 360 than ever before as a as an arcade gamer and stuff with the fact that every game had a mandatory online leaderboard component. PSN didn't have this. Uh, and again, it's something that some people will engage with and some people won't. And it's sort of been picked up somewhat by the rivals and other manufacturers and, and ecosystems since. But Xbox made it mandatory and it was also developers picking it up and running with it in games like Geometry Wars 2 and Trials HD, where it was constantly showing you your nearest rivals on your friends list. And again, leveraging, to use that word, that ecosystem, that friendly rivalry where you just wanted to be one place higher up the leaderboard than or beat a particular friend on Pinball FX or all those, all those little micro challenges that might lead you into far more extended play session of something like... Uh, yeah trials or or even an, an ancient arcade game like Gallagher or something that you might have yeah like had that one go and thought yeah that was a nice little nostalgia blast but the the lure of competition for some of us is and and I guess that plays into achievements as well but this is a more I uh, you know this is not an anti-achievement thing but I'd say the sort of high score chasing is a more purist kind of form because yeah. the score within the game is the score within the game there's no well, the developer made a thousand points available on this game by pressing the B button four times or whatever. So um, that stuff was great. And obviously, yes, plenty of games on PSN did have leaderboards, but the point is that Sony didn't make it mandatory. So not everything. And they also took forever to load on PSN for some reason, a lot of the time and an update, whereas Xbox was obviously updating these things, refreshing them, and it still works. So if you load up a backwards compatible game on Xbox One now, Geometry Wars, all my high scores are still there from back in the day and all my friends' high scores are still there too. So it never ends and that's I love that. that There's an odd flip side to that though where mandatory leaderboards in games sometimes doesn't really work. I remember oh, one of the sure. first, yeah. um, first games I bought on Xbox Live Arcade not long after I got Xbox Live was um, the arcade port of the original Doom and they put leaderboards into those levels which well how do you how do you put a leaderboard into makes doom? sense for doom but it, there i mean I th- it sort of was it was something yeah, to do i'd with, say there are was, way worse examples than that there are well, like, uh, yeah no doubt but i remember that being a thing where i, I just played through doom and because it, you know i'd been playing it for 15 years at that point or close to i just played through the game on one of the harder difficulties and i remember these things popping up at the end it was like you're ranked number sixth in the entire world on this level oh yeah you see i love that if if i was any good at doom i'd have been very happy with that but yes there were also games where it really didn't make any sense at all like you know a game that was a i don't know a slow based visual novel or something like you know this doesn't uh yeah there there were there were some odd leaderboards in certain games that really didn't have any place being there but because they were mandatory in they went regardless uh the controller i don't think we need to spend too long on this because it's kind of become like the de facto standard controller in some ways obviously the dual shot still exists and and it certainly has its fans and champions i'm actually one of those who prefers the dualshock 4 to the xbox one controller 
but the Xbox One controller is effectively another refinement refinement on the 360 controller, which was a refinement on the Xbox Originals controller S. I still use an Xbox 360 controller with my PC, and I plug a uh, a wired one in. I, I recently got rid of a load of old 360 controllers because the analog, the rubber thing, had just worn to nothing, <laughs> and the batteries Weird. no longer um, work on the back. But uh, but overall, yeah, it's. Uh, I know some people never got their heads around the asymmetrical analogs, but if you're comfortable with that, then I don't. D pads were never brilliant. No. They released a revised. <laughs> they released a revised controller with a slightly improved directional pad, but it was never the focus. The one that span round, you could move it between the um, like the That's saucer right. shape and the actual D pad. Hey, and bear in cool. mind, we're in that region of. I know Nintendo did the Wavebird essentially uh, for the GameCube, but. You know, wireless pads. Yeah, you know, a stand stand yeah, only true. you can mm, get one with yeah. a, a cord cable. But oh my god, you mm. you use a cable on a pad now, and you're like, what's going? <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> I st- I still don't mind cable controllers. I've got a WaveBird, so I was already yeah. kind of hoping that every damn controller should have been wireless at that point because it was just so much easier. But I will say that the one thing that I think you know that you don't see even today is replaceable battery packs. Because that's something, I mean, you know, as the battery starts to sort of fade, you can just mm. replace it yeah. and mm. or replace it with the, you had the little actual just slot in some double A's or whatever. Yeah, that's but, what I use now. Yeah. 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 But All you had a rechargeable one, which you just sort of like, you know, you can just replace the whole unit. And I thought, you know, that's something that's always still to this day is a sticking point for a lot of, uh, particularly with the dual shocks when the battery starts going you know you mm. find that you've practically got it wired most of the time because the battery doesn't last that long mm. it's interesting that uh, this is not for this show really but the the fact that the ps4 went for a still built-in permanent battery that you would mm. have to unscrew the controller whereas microsoft you can still just you just pop the back off and stick some double a's in it's like, how long have double a batteries been around? <laughs> interestingly tony you probably a test to this as well I got an Xbox One Elite controller version two fairly recently. That thing does not have a pop off. No, it doesn't. Pack. But it has that thing is only it a has rechargeable a battery, hour battery which is, in it, which is you know. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. I've charged it like three times yeah, since I've got it. Okay. So it is ridiculous. They're but, expensive, but I want one now. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very very weird to have a Microsoft controller that doesn't have. Uh, Triple, but once uh, again, double A batteries. At the time, it was laughed at. It. it was like Microsoft using double A batteries. Look at my fancy, you know, pad that I, you know, has the battery inside. It's just, you know, you could just charge it. You don't need these double A's. Who has double A's anymore? And it's one of those things that, yeah, form over factor. You know, it's <laughs> it it looked very cool having a, a you know, built in battery pack. But actually, over a long period of time, it proved to be one of those Achilles heels of the system where you know, your battery would last four hours in your pad and you'd be like, oh, God. Where's the where's the cable? Where you just uh, new batteries, fine, done. Yeah, I think a lot of the I think I wonder if one of the reasons though is weight, because what those battery packs either they're rechargeable, which is like there's a fair heft to it, and so when you add that to the controller, it makes the controller considerably heavier than say yes. the ion lithium ion batteries that you get in most, most of the controllers at the time now. as well. Sony cut out Rumble because to save basically money, Microsoft yeah. had Rumble in their pads. It's just it's. Yeah, weirdness at that period of time of you know what they were trying to do mm. both you know and like trying to sell like well no rumbles are a positive like nobody uses <laughs> like oh my god um yeah just some of those things that you know Microsoft just kept on uh you know sensibly going with um even though they don't they mustn't known they were making these decisions at the time that you know maybe they thought 
God, did we just waste money on Rumble in our pads? Um, only then to go, no, of course, it, everybody should have it. Yeah, but that was the point where Microsoft were willing to stump up $1.1 billion for a f*** that they knew was coming. So. <laughs> nice segue. Um, yes, Red, Red Ring of Death Carnage. We've already talked about it somewhat. but uh, So graphics chip overheat due to sleek console design and the push for HD graphics. So it's effectively, it hadn't been a problem in testing as as I understand it. I'm extrapolating a bit because they weren't expecting the machines to be pushed as hard by the push to 720p games. Um, if we'd stuck with standard def TVs, this probably wouldn't have been such an issue because the graphics chips wouldn't have got so overheated. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Anybody else ever tried to fix this? We're well, in the cupboard <laughs> business. Specifically. Uh, no, I didn't. Yeah, you ever open up an old three sixty? No, but I I did when I paste on the on the thing. No, I've done that sink. with the um, I've done that with my PC and um, you can strap a load of pennies to the heatsink or something that helps. I remember doing it. I remember taking a bunch of photos of this console that looked like it kind of looked like a dead transformer once I'd stripped all the outsides off it. And uh, yeah, it, it didn't. I really I work. think this this is a double edged sword for Microsoft. Uh, well, more more of a, a you know a killer blow, but not quite. It's they rushed that console for its release date. They wanted to be ahead of Sony, and and like I say, in some respects, they they sold enough units to form a fan base that actually allowed them to compete with Sony for you know the next seven, eight, nine, whatever years. Um, so so to that degree, it it you know it made them a brand in the industry, but they rushed that console. Um, for that launch date, and they should have done more testing. I guess the double-edged sword of that is they actually stood up and replaced those consoles, which I know there's that whole story of Peter Moore going uh, going to the boss um, and talking about, you know, this is you know, one point, you know, it's going to be 1.3 billion. Still Steve Barmer, Barmer yeah. okayed it. Uh, 1.3. Three billion to fix. Yeah, I mean, I remember at the time there was talk that they were, if they didn't pay for that, they were facing class mm-hmm. action lawsuits, which would have cost them a lot more than one point one billion. Yeah. So because literally they, if they lost the class action against that, they there's a potential for them to have to replace every single console, and that would have, it could have pretty much destroyed. I mean, it, it would have destroyed, destroyed the brand. It. Yeah. Your company's the brand would yeah. have been dead in the water, and, so, and that would have been that, and. So the money yeah, that they put so. in towards it, yeah, they couldn't allow that to happen. I think, yeah, yeah, it's it's less of a joke now. Like we're too far away from it. But at that time, I see it as a double. Uh, it's weirdly like at the time, I remember people having red rings, but they were so invested in playing with their friends online that you just go, like Jay said, you just go and buy another console. And it it yeah. says something about the brand at that point where people were willing yeah. to put up with the yeah. utter utter. Sh- that came with being 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 an Xbox 360 in those early days, it was unacceptable. And hopefully, other console manufacturers, you know, and the Microsoft themselves have learned from you know trying to push something, you know, to a populace just to have yeah. the, the head start because you know it it almost cost them their entire brand that that fall. It it was ridiculous over for a period. So I remember they quoted, somebody quoted at the time, there was an official quote of like, oh, perhaps perhaps as many as 31% of consoles are affected. And then independent research suggested it was nearer 70%. And anecdotally, it was more like 90%. Mm. Yeah. 
I, I remember by the time I got to the third replacement, I was livid. <laughs> I, I was absolutely furious with it. Like, and having then to send them off as well within the sort of space of like 18 months of having them, it was just like, and it, it is essentially one of the, it's not the single reason why I stopped supporting them after a while. I think the, there's more to it than that, but it was definitely a contributing factor as to why I eventually moved away from that console. Um, because I got fed up of having to... Because I'd not only gone through three of them, I'd gone through three original Xboxes as well. Because they oh, also really? had a whole overheating issue. Hmm. It's yeah, insane. It didn't it bother is. me unduly. Obviously, it was a pain, but I was... Yeah, I just loved the console but, so much and the games I was playing well, on it that yeah, I was like, meh. Yeah, but it yeah. was like, you know, even at the time, the, the arcade was 200 quid. So that was I, like... 200 quid straight out of my pocket because I, I needed a I, replacement. And then the Elite was 279. And then it was like, there you go, another nearly 300 quid because damn console's gone I, again. I wonder and- what the equivalent would be now if if any of the companies had a, a similar kind of red ring with all the kind of you know social media, you know the ways that people interact. Yeah, I mean, people It'd moan enough them. now about I the volume honestly, of the consoles. If, yeah, I think it yeah, would be I'd the like- end of them. I think if any console did this now, it would be the death of it. I mean, I've had an Xbox One X break in a not dissimilar way, and almost identical thing happened. Of yeah, they send but the you failure the box, rates obviously you ship it to infinitely lower. <laughs> they send it back. You check the serial number to see if they've sent you a refurbed one or your own one. Fixed. We have got an equivalent. We've got sort of. We've got analog drift, left uh, left yeah, stick sure. drift on the Switch. And that console's doing well. Actually, like, well. anecdotally, and this this is not anything. Like, I'm not trying to defend anything. I I had one red ring. I had uh, one um, orange, whatever that yamba flashing light on the play, PlayStation Three, and I had three broken Wii's. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> which people just don't talk about the issue with any kind of Wii's. My launch I, Wii is still one hundred. No, I had overheating fine. issues with the Wii. They would just get really, really hot, and I've got a brilliant. Opens, hmm. you know, center like keep the things like perfectly dust free, and it was just I would have trouble with wheeze. I don't know. This goes to yeah. show how these can Maybe vary even within them. within one brand, Bizarre. like depending yeah. on the machine. But I'm, I'm not gonna. Do. I'm not gonna sit here and defend the red ring because there's, there's absolutely the no Wii world. is not well no. known for its failure yeah, it, rates. It was a, uh, a major disaster, and I think the you know a company standing by a disaster like that is what you need, especially if you make that investment in their products. Uh, that's yep. the very $1.15 billion it Ouch. cost them, estimated. Yeah. A few other features worth briefly mentioning, obviously, as always with these shows, time is getting on, but uh, it was probably one of the last, hopefully, regional locked machines, and there were certain games that you could only get for certain regions, as we've already sort of alluded to. Certainly a lot of Japanese, weirdly, uh, some Japanese games that didn't come out elsewhere, Tetris and Cave shoot ups right. and things like this. Um, Those Japanese games, they didn't translate them, and the majority of them were either visual novels or dating games or a combination of the two. So what are you going to do? Uh, well, that's like, not really... There's loads of really... Yeah, there's loads of, there's loads of highly desirable games for... for players of shoot 'em ups and things like that yeah and as i say tetris the grandmaster and stuff like that some of them came to america some of them are extremely highly sought after among uh certain uh yeah players of certain genres of game uh, at the same time they had a weird like not locked system where i had a, a uk xbox 360 and i go on ebay to buy games because it was cheaper than buying them on um you know buying them straight from the store 
And I've got a whole bunch of early games that are all just things that Americans sent over to me that just work fine. Some discs are region free, <clears throat> but overall, yeah, generally most things were were region locked. Uh, fortunately, the PS3 wasn't, was it? As I recall, that was that was uh, that was the start of the 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 shift towards let's not bother doing this nonsense anymore one of the other weird things about that is now those region lock discs if they make them backwards compatible on the xbox one you can now play them on there so i've got some american xbox 360 games don't work on the any of the 360s that i've mm. got but i can stick them in the xbox one and they work fine yeah so that's weird you can play the japanese regional locked version of bioshock on the xbox one hmm so strange, but reason. okay. Uh, there was XNA, which was the uh, what's the word? What should we call it? A platform? It was a, 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 like a homebrew system, or homebrew like creation scene. tool. Yeah, creation tool, mm. something like that, uh, which was uh, effectively, I suppose, a spiritual successor to Netyerosa on the PlayStation, um, but a bit more sophisticated and allowed people punters young talented folks developers to actually yeah. create and release their own games on xbox live indie games store it wasn't there at the beginning was it but it, it came it arrived oh was it um but i've ended yeah. up with you know it it was it was a breeding ground for a lot of talented young developers we even had some on the show we had the they breathe guys uh, on a cane yeah. and rinse podcast and some games even broke out into uh you know becoming if not major releases, but yeah. Steam releases and, and uh, commercial releases. I mean, I think I still have some... I think it's still on the hard drive of my 360s. Is it... I made a I game, made a with, game zombies. with zombies yeah. in it, yeah. I love mm -hmm. the music on that. I thought it was... that. I mean, that's probably the Silver reason... Silver games. Yeah, that's one of the reasons yeah. I kept it, I think. It's they, were often, they were often super cheap. And yeah. Uh, yeah, there was also... There were a couple of curios on there, like uh, the official releases of Manic Miner and Jet Set Willy. Some of the only available versions on modern consoles of those games. So, uh, but yeah, I've got like I think I've got about a dozen Xbox Live indie games that aren't available elsewhere. That are some of the reasons I actually keep my 364. Yeah, I think I want to say Mount Your Friends started on there, oh, yeah. or at least was released on there at the yeah. same time. It might have come out on Steam at the same time. I think it was um, X One first. Finger Death Punch was yep. on there as well, and that's now become much bigger. Yeah, yeah, there's um, quite a few. Yeah. No, they've done well out of it. Applejack got a, an 8 out of 10 edge review. Still worth playing. Um, we might we might mention a few more of those when we get to the games. The music player, just a brief mention, sort of feels like a, again, almost feels like a hangover to the, the previous, previous generation, but worth mentioning the music player because it had a light synthesizer by none other than Jeff Minter built in, <laughs> including yeah. images of Jay Allard. <laughs> uh, flashing up in the background as you played your yeah. CDs or MP3s. I love a good visualizer. Mm. Uh, Smart Glass started on this at uh, this around this time. You can still, I think, I've still got the Xbox 360 app on my phone. Obviously, the Xbox One app gets more use now. But this was you were supposed to be able to like control your. Um, actually, no, I don't have it anymore. Maybe <laughs> it doesn't do anything. Uh, you were supposed to be able to like control your DVD, use it as a DVD remote and stuff like that, weren't you? Um, I'm not sure what the the end game with that was, but it kind I was of just came trying and to went. bring in so, that that oh, kind yeah. of you know second screen architecture into the actual you know you yeah, know, yeah. maps and stuff. It it never you know there was a lot of talk, there was a lot of hype, and it never really came to anything. 
So yeah, and there were some games that used uh, a system like that as well. There was a Fable yeah. pub games or something that mm-hmm. might have technically been a Windows Phone game that used some sort of system like Smart Cloud. Looking at your hand of cards or whatever. Something maybe. Um, the mm. live vision camera, of course, you needed one of these to show people your genitals on, on Uno. I've got one yes, in my you hand. Yes, definitely did. Right I've still here. got mine, yeah. Uh, yeah I use it as my box. camera for Zoom on in it's 2020 in COVID world. Wait, it still works? <laughs> it's okay. On, you're it's, using it on Zoom now? Yeah, it's fine. It's all right. Jesus. It looks better than some of the cameras that some of my colleagues have got in their laptops, to be honest. Um, I don't have a webcam, but I, I would not consider plugging in the 15-year-old. Oh, it's, it got bigger, yeah, it's got bigger optic in it, no it, doubt, it? So, than yep. most laptops. It works yeah, fine. Makes it's, sense. Uh, there were some there were some games that used this to really good um, extent as well. I mean, there was a lot of stuff where it was literally just streaming you using the camera or taking photos. I think there was Burnout yeah. Paradise was one of the big things yeah, right. where was, you could make like, a face, could, yeah, yeah, do a do a picture of you giving the finger to someone who you just uh, you just took down. But there was there was at least one game um, called Totem Ball <laughs> that, that specifically so used the camera. I think it was it was like imagine a Connect uh-huh. game. But about four years before Connect came out, where you waved your hands around to move the little ca- the little thing on the it was screen, so, <laughs> it yeah, was it was awful, awful. Yeah. and it, it remains today. I think one of the most difficult games of yeah. the original Xbox Live Arcade stuff to get all the achievements out of because it's just so broken and weird to use. But yeah, it was it was fun. I mean, it was fun playing Uno at three o'clock in the morning, talking to my American mates and stuff, using it. So with your yeah. knob out, yeah. Well, I sure no comment. Sp- whatever speed wheel, racing wheel. <laughs> they were so you could uh, depending on your budget and your enthusiasm for Project Gotham or Forza most most sport. You could get a wheel, Tony. I bet you not the original. Actually, no, I did have the original Xbox three sixty one, um, and then sold it thereafter. But no, yeah, it was it was fine. It was worked. There was like a yeah. force feedback one and a non-force feedback one, yeah. Yeah, I had I had one of these that it had like a vice grip on it that you were supposed to use to screw Clamp it, it down to a desk. Yeah, yeah. I had what well, I don't know if it was the official Xbox one or not, but I remember having it and yeah. selling it not inevitably afterwards with an eighty million yeah. selling console. There were myriad third-party yeah. uh, devices that you could get as well. There was a flight stick for Ace Combat 6, which I'd forgotten about. It's weird because we've only just, I say only just in the last two or three years, got Ace Combat 7. There was a big old gap. It Uh, was 18 months ago or something. Yeah. I've still got these, although I've been meaning to sell them for a long time. After Buzz on the PS2 was such a huge thing, we got (laughs) seen it on the Xbox 360 with the big button pads. I had some fun evenings of this with friends. Yeah, It it was an entertaining game. Yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about a little bit, just as a nostalgia kick earlier, um, you were you were saying about sort of advertising videos and stuff that went through uh, went through the marketplace. Very specifically, remember there being a video that was called something like the Xbox Three Sixty Couch Tour, mm-hmm. and it was the, the yeah, it was basically like you know marketing team going around different cities, sticking a couch in like large squares and getting people to play. One of the games was probably Guitar Hero 2. Might yeah, be one of the slightly I've seen later some ones. Of this video, I mm. think. Yeah. Obviously, arcade sticks had long been a thing since forever, really. But this was the era in which enthusiastic uh, developers and purchasers started really getting into the scene of buying, modifying, and, and whatever else. We got the Mad Cats T sticks for Street Fighter 4 and all that kind of thing. Uh, that, st- that scene very much still up and running, although there was a period around the time of Street Fighter 4 where 
lots of people were jumping in who perhaps you know it was there was that sort of slight crossover era uh but way too many we should probably do once we finished with all the console specials we'll have to do like arcade stick specials and stuff like that um talking about uh sort of piggybacking off of buzz course sony had also had amazing success with singstar millions and millions and millions sold and it was was it uh was it the developer innis made lips for microphone uh the lips for xbox 360 mm-hmm. with a microphone which was a kind of singstar thing but with a few little twists right i bet you had some party nights with this yeah no it was it was a fine game a lot of uh music in there you know whether it was better than singstar would be yeah <laughs> i remember um didn't the microphone have some buttons on it that it could did. You do could, some You could kind of tip it up and it would activate like a, you know, a power move, etc. But no, the mic- mics were, were uh, cool so. and had little lights in the bottom. And it, it, yeah, it was, they were cool. It was a cool product. And, um, but it was, it, it never did rival SingStar in the end. But, you know, it was a cool product while it, while it lasted. Was it just, what was it a one and done no, no, or they did they do a second? Add-on packs to it. Okay. Right. Uh, one thing that perhaps was less cool <laughs> was the Tony Hawk shredboard. <laughs> you say that. <laughs> I mean, I've never played on no. one, so I couldn't possibly comment, but it was largely a source of derision, as I recall. Um, yeah, it, that was that's a weird... If you're talking about just game releases, that was the weird one where as an Activision had to release one more game with Tony Hawk in. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, something like that, and they made that, and he he never. I think he did some advertising for it, but it was just awful. Hey ho. Mm. There were uh, maybe three or four Tony Hawk's games on the 360 that they'd definitely gone past their kind of sell by date on them. No, but it was just peripheral. It was peripheral city around this point with the 360, wasn't it? There was yes. there was just stuff. It was yeah. a music <laughs> music game era as well, of course, which again which could, uh, we've, we've covered Rock Band yeah. on the main show, we, we don't want to go over too much the same ground, it's, but yeah. there could be a show someday where we just talk about all the rhythm controllers that have ever been made. We could uh, yeah, easily fill a show with that. Uh, another perhaps forgotten but not much missed <laughs> device was, uh, th- was yeah. it, this was there at launch, right? Uh, no, it was, there. it was there at launch. Oh, was it? Okay. It was around when I got mine a year later. HD DVD player, format war happened and yeah, was over. Microsoft lost. <laughs> well, no, Toshiba um, lost. I, I still to this. <laughs> Microsoft just backed the yeah. wrong person. All right, fair enough. Um, the, the, the HD DVD, the, there was the whole format war back when DVD, DVD, Blu-ray versus HD DVD. Um, I actually still on, I, I feel like, a, you know, one of the ones that lost the war. Uh, it was region free and all sorts of really cool stuff. But nice. um, like Sony, Sony discs, you know, yeah. and whether, you know, uh, I mean, Sony stuck it in a PlayStation 3. And by the very definition, yeah. every time someone sold a PlayStation 3, there was more DVD players out there, more Blu-ray players out there yeah. than HD DVD players, players. And they won the war of that. Now, it yeah. meant that their machine was yeah. extremely expensive at launch. But in the end, um, the uptake of Blu-ray mm made them way more money than it, it cost to put them in the PlayStation in the end. Yeah, there's a bit more yeah. to it than that, though, because the, the, the movie industry... They did, yeah, eventually. Yeah, bit by one. bit. Yeah, it yeah. was a weird time with people back in... And the porn industry? Uh, it's usually... Well, just, that's just on the internet. Usually the clincher. <laughs> well, I suppose, yes. just, yeah, I think that's it. less of an issue with this, because I think the internet was... Going back was to 2006, kind of... though. But yeah, well, I, I still have my yeah. HD DVD player, and I have a you know whole handful of HD yeah. DVDs as a... 
you know, remembrance. Yeah. I've got one in a box somewhere. Because there was a point where after I'd had, I think, three or four 360s that broke because of the disk drive, I remember getting the HD DVD player and using that as the thing. I put the discs, the 360 game discs in the DVD player, thinking it would reduce the wear and tear on the, the, you know, the drive in the actual console. And I think I've still got more HD DVDs to this day than I own Blu-rays. Uh, we mentioned the HDMI adapter. That was another thing mm. that it didn't start off with because of the changing standards. Media remote. Uh, that was something that had been around since the PS... Did PS2? Yeah, because of course it was a DVD player, wasn't it? So yeah. you could get a remote for that. So that was nothing new as such. I mean, they sold these things separately. There was a licensing issue similar with the X. With mm. the original Xbox, where if you print, if you had that DVD symbol, you had to pay a royalty for it. Yeah. So they they sold all this stuff separate because then the royalty payment was connected to the price of the the media remote, as opposed to it being on the console. Good knowledge. I like that. There was a little Dubri quarter chat pad which I bought but never used because it was so fiddly. It was a little keyboard that slipped yeah. between the prongs of your one of these. 360. <laughs> oh, man. I thought this very parish absolutely loves his chat pads. He, loved, he never took okay. it off his pad. <laughs> okay. Carl, Wait, I always, Carl? Yeah. I always thought I, that the, mm. the design of it was really, like, it was clever. I always thought the design it was, was sort of smart. nifty, yeah. Yeah, the way it sort of fit in between the two sort of Didn't Sony rips. do one later as well? They yeah, did, they did, did yeah. 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 It, it reminds me of, I remember seeing a, a GameCube controller, I think, in a second-hand game store at one point. That literally looked like a computer keyboard that had the yeah that was for the GameCube um, controller on it. That was for and fantasy. Remember, that's for fantasy star. That's yeah, a, some insane thing I remember seeing, and years later seeing the 360 pad, being like, "Wow, they've come a long way since that." Yeah, the main issue I had, it probably depends on your fingers, but I found the keys were really sticky, stiff, yeah, and See, really um, small, but. But the thing Sorry, is, we your did do fingers a, are too fat. Yeah, but we did do a lot of uh, text chatting in those days, and yeah, some people did. more than others. Mm. So yeah, it did make sense. You couldn't just hook it up to your computer like you can now. You couldn't. Well, you, you could, might. Have yeah, been you could plug. I used, to, I used to do. No, I used to plug a USB messages. keyboard in and type messages into my three hundred and sixty, mm. which was a lot. Which is what I did instead of using the chat pad because <laughs> it was a lot easier. Uh, yeah. You could, rather than end up wrapping your tower, your console in towels and putting it in the airing cupboard, you could make your sleek, modern-looking Xbox 360 look absolutely ridiculous by buying some huge, ugly bolt-on fans for it. Uh, there was a, a Nyko th- uh, intercooler fan That's that you one. plugged into. I think it went into the power um, power socket on the 360, mm. and then the power cable went into the back of the fan. I remember having one of those. And then there was an announcement announcement from Microsoft that if they could prove that you had one of those plugged in, yeah, they wouldn't, um, yeah, you know, wouldn't honor <laughs> your, your warranty. So yeah, I had one of those for a little while, and then as soon as they said that, I was you like, can still mm, buy all these third party out. fans for modern consoles as well, and they still look as yeah. terrible. <laughs> so little little feet that lift your PS4 up from the table and make yep. no difference. Uh, I don't even know what this is. The UDraw game tablet. That might have been specific to a handful of uh, yeah. Ubisoft games. Yeah, I think it's definitely maybe something to do only Ubisoft. one, like um, extra sketch kind of draw thing. Okay, mm. yeah, okay, a little art cool. tablet. Yeah. There was a PS3 yeah. one as well. Um, you draw Studio. Yeah. Oh, for there's a lot of children's yeah. games. Penguins of Madagascar. 
Same Disney thing. Princess. So n- nice. Okay. Yeah, there's there's a game on the 360 called Instant Artist that must have used it. And then, and obviously, we could probably do a whole show itself on this. And I know its lovers and defenders are very passionate. I had one for a while with my Xbox One because it spans generations. The Connect did sell a lot of units. Yeah. I was never personally interested. And when I did have one, I didn't much use it. But I know that advocates swear by it, especially the, the keep fit stuff on <laughs> I've got on a, like a good and... five minute spiel that I think it, it's worth listening to. But if anybody else wants to jump in before that. No, no. No. That, help yourself. Obviously the connect is like Marmite. Um <laughs> you you either love it or you hate it. But I you know to me it's signifying the change of the guard at Microsoft. Um you gotta remember at this point the Wii is just selling gangbusters. It's you know it's outpacing both Sony and Microsoft consoles. Um, it's where the money is being made, and it's I think a dark time at the at Microsoft headquarters when they decided to chase the money rather than keep the focus on what their their console actually was. Uh, I can't blame them for it necessarily because once again back to earlier in the show, like I think Microsoft had a a big image problem that you know gears of war fans etc that came with it that it was you know it was this console for grown up you know for the adult audience and it wasn't for the younger audience and they they spent a long time pushing the connect because it seemed to be the way that they actually finally cracked that young audience um moniker that they were so desperately after Unfortunately, what they did with the, with this device uh, single-handedly was push away a whole generation of uh, gamers that love their console for its more grown-up appeal, and it meant a lot of. I knew I knew a lot of friends the moment Connect hit that actually over you know its two three-year span moved over to the PlayStation Network and haven't ever come back. It was single-handedly. I think it it it, it changed the the outlook of that console for for years to come. Now. Why I think it's the change in the guard. This is the point. Well, connects like 2010, but this is the brainchild of someone called Don Matrick, and Don Matrick took over the role of Peter Moore. Now, Peter Moore was the you know, you know Allard and like the the people that had the momentum that brought it this from the the original Xbox, the Xbox 360, and had that momentum of it. You know, this console having you know for the young you're not for the you know for the kind of the hip audience that that whole thing we talked about at the very start what the 360 was they started to drift away from the JL Allards and the Peter Moores drifted away from the company around 2007 and Don Matrick happened to come into the com- company at 2007 and he changed the philosophy now Don Matrick came from Electronics Arts ironically where um, Peter Moore ended up he was a businessman he wasn't a gamer he was a businessman and he saw the the money being made from nintendo and he changed the directive of what microsoft were doing and he put all the eggs into the connect basket and actually for a while it worked because the connect sold gangbusters and it made microsoft an absolute fortune but as a long tail bet it destroyed a lot of what microsoft were actually trying to do with their system and he pushed a lot away of the core audience and they still, to this day, are suffering from that because they continued with that idea that that's what people wanted with the Xbox One. And they underpowered it. They threw in the Kinect. They made it too expensive. They learnt, They failed all the mistakes that um, Sony did you know, with the gener- first part of the generation of the PlayStation 3. 
And they basically followed their footsteps. They thought it was about one thing and it turned out to be something entirely. And they have spent mm-hmm. the yep. last, God, six, seven, eight years trying to forget that Connect yeah. ever happened. Mm-hmm. Now, personally, <laughs> I actually played a lot of Connect games and I had a lot of fun with Connect yep. games. Um, Our Ryan, one of yep. his favourite games of the entire generation is a Connect game. I can't remember what it's called, but he loves it. It's a that's an Xbox One game though, isn't it? That uh, yeah, now that's so I yeah Connect with, Adventures and stuff right, like that. One. I put you know I put hundreds of hours into Connect games, and I really enjoyed the system. You know the the platform was it was it perfect? Absolutely not. It was too ahead of it. Like the whole uh, what was the what was the one the ah uh, what's the one with the boy? I can't remember. Milo. My that's Milo. It. Oh yeah, Milo. Mate, you did a, you I know, did a no, video like, about that. The, the whole, it was the whole fun. Milo thing. Like it, it set an expectation of what that system was going to be, and it never really lived up to it. And yeah, I just I don't know. I I think the the tech wasn't quite where it needed to be for that to be something that was the way that it was pushed by Microsoft. Yet there was times that you know I I enjoyed, but you could try to drive a car in Forza with invisible steering wheels. It's awful. But actually playing something like Connect Adventures, where you're you know you're doing the exercise, you kind of it's it's you know Dance Central. Yeah, I've watched my wife play Dance Central for the best part of two years, and absolutely love every single second of it. Like these things never go away forever. There'll be something else, even if it's VR. Well, this is the thing. I mean, I think in a way the technology was they just pushed it out without sort of getting the right people on board. I think with this kind of tech, it's getting the right developers to make the right kind of games for it, to sell mm-hmm. the experience. And I just feel like when you see what people are still you like there's a lot of um, MIT mm-hmm. do a, use a lot of Connect stuff to experiment with. And some of the stuff they're coming out with using this camera and the, the, the sensors is incredible. And it's, you know, you just think like if they'd gotten, like you look at Beat Saber, and you imagine that if they'd waited a couple of years and come out with something akin to Beat Saber, we're using Connect. Yeah. Like, how could that have? It, it could have totally changed the way that. The, also, I think there's, you know, when you when you give the option of do you want it with or without, then you've got a problem because you're splitting the user base, and there's all that kind of stuff that plays into it. There's tons of mistakes with it, but I think the technology they took rare out of the like the, they they just put them as a connect developers. Like it's some of that those yeah. idioticies about just taking great developers and turning them into these like bit part players. I, I think the idea, the central idea of Connect is a solid one, but the way they completely yeah. transformed their entire gaming department. And chased what I think at the time was just money. It broke. It broke yeah, yeah. Microsoft for the longest of times, and it's taken them years to, you know, the fact that the the, the Xbox One released with Connect, and within the year they had pretty much killed it. It shows you the you know, and, and Don Matrick essentially got fired from his job for breaking uh, <laughs> the company. Um, and you know, and then he went to Zenga and broke Zenga at the same time, <laughs> which you know. Whatever, whatever that may be, but it it just shows you if you lose focus and this, you know, Microsoft at the earlier part of that generation, they were focused on making the best gaming console they could by making it, you know, developer friendly, you know, making the, 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 the player the center of that system. And by the end of the Xbox 360's life, 
I feel like they just they they lost all focus, and the Kinect was the prime thing I think that pushed so many gamers away from that console. But it made them money, and ugh, Christ knows what's the right answer for me personally. <laughs> I would have I would have probably you know wished that Kinect hadn't actually been something that they had invested so much money in. You know, a bit like the Move, like they Sony and the Move, they they invested a ton of money into it, but they realised I think you know it just it served a a niche market, and they were happy with that yeah but the move like you like to me the moves essential well, it is now VR yeah. and, and when you see it and yeah, well, but yeah the fact but, that it's, mean, it's still the same tech and it's, it's but they found a niche they found a, a use for that now beyond what it, it originally was planned for which at least gives that a second uh second life but and, and i feel that the tech the the connect tech is still fascinating and I just kind of feel that they sh- they themselves shouldn't have abandoned it, oh, it was in quite the same way. Poison chalice, yeah. man. Yeah. Well, they've, they've abandoned <laughs> it. In- yeah, sure. But I feel like, you know, if it had had that extra few, couple of years of development and worked out games, I, I think it could have been a real interesting It's a bit like VR, right? Now, I've experienced VR and I adore it. And I think it's a game changer. But the reality is... It's not had the uptake it needs it needs to. And, you know, so it's been put on the back burner for many people. And as sad as that is, you know, I think there's an element of Connect that is absolutely viable. But I also think the moment you make it your central selling point of your system rather than an add-on to your system, I yeah, think yeah. it was the point that Microsoft yeah. completely got it wrong in this regard. All right. Probably do a whole yeah. show on Connect. Uh, we're going to talk about games. <laughs> For the remaining time, obviously there are a lot of them. Now we can't possibly cover them all. We reckon around 2,086 games, although nobody's got a hard and fast figure on that with this particular machine, because I suppose it was easier in previous generations where everything came out in yeah. a box and you could literally count them up. Uh, things got released and then unreleased, and you know so on and so forth. But we we talk about the console's 11-year lifespan from 2005 to 2016 as a as a manufactured machine however you could get fifa 19 for the xbox 360 albeit legacy edition which means it's effectively a previous year's version with a with a roster update you can actually still buy that that came out in 2018 so i don't know what the final final game was i know there are still just dance games coming out for the wii so it might be a just dance game if not a Madden or an NBA, something like that. So yes, we're not going to recover games that we've already covered on Kane and Rinse, other than maybe a mention in passing for games that are particularly relevant to the machine's life or our own lives. Uh, we like to have a quick look back, although I never think this is actually the most relevant thing in the world, at the launch lineups, because for those who were early adopters, some of these games that perhaps wouldn't have got as much attention got a little more than usual um in japan they only got every party and tetris the grandmaster ace which we did talk about on our tetris podcast uh i can't actually remember i remember we got fifa 06 road to the fifa world cup which was not very well received condemned criminal orange or- oranges <laughs> um oh, <Darren. laughs> uh, which is a game that is very much on our, uh, our list and its sequel to cover at some stage in the future. But um, I think it was one, John, you wanted to mention as yeah. uh, a, a, a notably horrific title to play. Yes, I, I do have a lot of history with it. Um, I, I still consider it to be one of the finest launch titles uh, that's ever been launched with a console. 
Crikey. Uh, it, it's, it's been a long time since I've played it. Sure. It's been maybe 11, 12 years. I imagine it'll it, look but... pretty rough now when we go back oh, to it. Oh, God, yeah. I think I've got it, the PC version. Really so. were... Yeah, I think Condemned 2, they eventually released it on the PS4 or PS3 as well. Yeah, but yeah it was... It was just a really dirty, grimy first person hitting people with a board with nails in it simulator. Mm. There was, <laughs> I enjoyed it. There was a need for speed, most wanted. There was, as Tony mentioned, a Ridge Racer 6, whereas the PS3 got Ridge Racer 7. Ridge there was, of course, quite famously Perfect Dark Zero, which is generally, although it didn't review that badly at the time, generally seems to be a, a figure of fun. Uh, we covered right. the original Perfect Dark, but not the sequel, although Ryan continues to lobby for its inclusion <laughs> in the podcast. Uh, in North America, one of the launch titles was Peter Jackson's oh, yes. King Kong, the official Remember game of the movie, which actually wasn't, again, wasn't that badly received and was also a thousand easy achievement points, I understand. I, I didn't have a frame rate, though. <laughs> didn't have a frame rate, yes. Was a, you have to use cheats to uh, play through that easily. A common thing for the times. Uh, we mm. got some PC ports such as Quake 4. I that was actually my that. launch game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like Quake 4 as well. Yeah, We'll do the Quake series at some point, probably, um, because we've done Doom and Wolfenstein, so it would make sense. Project Gotham, Gotham 3. So we covered mm-hmm. 1 and 2. 3 was... Uh, was it... Am I thinking it was a bit content-like compared to its predecessors? Or am uh, I plenty of now, and once again, it, was, it, it really... Pushed Microsoft's, you know, you know, want to get everybody playing online. Had like, you know, Gotham TV and all right. sorts of stuff on there. Um, and visually yeah. impressive as car games tend to be for new generation. Yeah, I've actually got this, even though I'm not really a big fan of that. But it was, I remember playing the demo of that, and the demo convinced me to pick it up. Mm-hmm. And then I don't think I ever really played it that much. But it was just that demo I remember sort of zipping around, going, thinking, "Oh my god, it looks amazing." <laughs> but, yeah. Car games, always, uh, yes, we're now looking at Gran Turismo for the next generation. Uh, Of course, in America, Madden, NBA, 2K6 and NBA Live. So you had a choice of basketball games and uh, Rare's cameo elements of power, which we've also covered in the history of the podcast, the Rare title, the other Rare title. The some significant exclusives obviously include multiple Halo releases starting with 3, which was a massive media launch. We've covered the entire Halo series up to 4, and including we are covering 5 later this year in advance of Infinite being released. Luna Looney from the forum says, Up through the early 2000s, my brother and I were happy with our PlayStation and later PS2. The PC and Game Boy Advance got an occasional look in, but in general, our gaming world started and ended in the Sony camp. When my brother got to high school in 2004, however, he started hearing about this interesting game that his friends were playing. He talked about the sci-fi storyline, undoubtedly inspired by some of our favourite films, and he talked about the gameplay as if it was somehow better than our beloved Star Wars Battlefront 2. And he also mentioned that the main menu showed this huge ring-shaped world, which was a mental image I couldn't shake. By Christmas 2006, we finally had our hands on a second-hand arcade edition, Xbox 360. It had two slightly grubby controllers and came with three games. One was Forza Motorsport 2, which got some playtime when our dad was around, but crucially, we also got Halo. And this kept us in gaming for the rest of the decade. We didn't need anything else. Every night we'd spend hours upon hours thrashing each other in Halo multiplayer, stopping only for our tea. 
We made our own custom game types, discovering the joys of setting the gravity to zero and the player speed to maximum. We sampled every single weapon in the game and drove every vehicle and imitated Jeff Steitzer's announcer voice at every opportunity. Gained the lead, lost the lead, tied for leader, became a running joke. And this was before we even touched the campaign mode. Sorry, I haven't heard that for quite a long time. That probably wasn't very good. I shouldn't. I should mention at this juncture that all this was played on a cheapo 14-inch cathode ray tube over composite. How we managed to read anything on screen is a mystery. My first adventures on Xbox Live were spent in the Lone Wolves playlist. And, you know, I didn't do too badly back then. Rather than get an official wireless adapter, my dad found some knockoff thing from China. But it worked. And that's what mattered. It was a matter of time before our beloved 360 succumbed to the much-rumoured red ring. At first, my dad was chuffed. He instantly saw a get-rich-quick scheme in this and set about learning how to fix the issue. Whatever he did, it worked for a few months and then died again during a game of Halo Reach. So I went into town with my mum and we got a new one. Bish, bash, bosh. While my brother was content with Bungie's various masterpieces, for me, it wasn't all about Halo. I picked up a few other games during my tenure with the 360. The most memorable titles include Castle Crashers, The Simpsons Game and the deplorable Crash of the Titans. There were probably a load of others, but I honestly don't remember them because Halo absolutely was the crown of that period in my gaming life. All in all, the 360 was and is a highly respected and much loved part of my gaming collection, even if most of my time with it was spent on one series. That time was some of the best gaming I've ever had. And when my brother got an Xbox One a few years back, he gave me his Halo Reach flavoured Xbox 360. The perfect gift. Before we jump off Halo, and I know we've covered it exhaustively on on Kane Rinse, what I will say, this is the the 360 is the height of that power of Microsoft putting tons of money behind. Like 100%. right now, it feels yeah. like a lot. Most of Microsoft's um, first you know, main IP has kind of you know been done to death. And yeah, we time will tell whether they can uh, kind of refresh it. But back when the 360 was. Uh, it's it's um yeah it's main console it, yeah at that point these all their first you know first party IP were absolutely mm. massive juggernaut re- uh, releases that you know even people on Sony were you know Killzone can it be the Halo killer it's you know oh yeah, it was a big sure. deal it, it was, was a very big deal and Halo Three is uh, a great has game. everyone has everyone seen the uh, the famous video from Christmas two thousand seven? No, well, it's around Christmas, but I think it's a birthday actually, isn't it? With the little kid gets all the Halo three stuff. <laughs> no, but okay, I can imagine. It's it. really it, it's very sweet. He's uh, he's not expecting any of it, and he doesn't believe it's all for him. And his parents get all teary because he's so Aww. grateful. And uh, yeah, it's very uh, life affirming. So yeah, Gears came along. As I say, it was a system seller mm-hmm. for me in the sense that I heard it was meant to be good and I enjoyed it. I played Gears a lot, the original, and um, with a friend in co-op, with a, a real-life friend who we you know, hooked up on Xbox Live together and had some great times. We've only covered so far the of the original Gears of War games, the third one. On, way back when. Um, way back, way back yeah. right at the beginning of the podcast. One day we might yeah. revisit that series. You can play them all backwards compatible as well, which is nice. Including what I'll say about Gears of War is that was the game that I transitioned from Halo to Gears of War and played uh, basically mm. 18 months to two years of multiplayer on, on that. Um, oh, really? Shotgun just, rolls. Yeah, just absolutely. had a group of people and we just played Gears of War original nonstop. Uh, loved it to bits. And yeah, it was one of those ones that became that, once again, both a system seller, but also uh, that kind of, oh yeah, yo bro. Although bro wasn't yes, a thing back very then, much so. but you know, 
It was, uh, yeah, it was that. I don't know. It? It, it feels like it's more of a modern thing. But back then it was that, well, you know, chainsaws and blood and gore. And, yeah, you know, I feel like it's one of those ones which it sold Microsoft a bunch of consoles. And then they kind of wanted to move away from that image. So a double-edged sword. But uh, Gears of War, massive title for the 360. Yeah, they mm-hmm. played up to it really hard. They had the um, the adverts and stuff that were playing on the dashboard and stuff all the time, and yeah. downloadable trailers and that sort of thing. They were they pushed it so hard, and it was what just under a year after the yeah. console had come out, so not even any PS3 or well, Wii. And and form that relationship with um, Epic, uh, obviously the with their their middleware or their their engine that. Would mm. probably go on to be, you know, make the look of the of the the generation of uh, certainly for three sixty the look of that that generation with mm. their engine. Um, but Gears of War being they having all the tech mm. looked, you know, phenomenal for the time. So we had the original Forza Motorsport on the original Xbox, of course. I'm sure we talked about it briefly on that show. We had three sequels. Xbox's answer to Gran Turismo, I suppose, on the uh, three sixty. I played a couple of these, three and four, I think, and we've now had three further sequels, I think, if my numbers are correct, on uh, on Xbox One. We're up to seven. Forza Horizon made its debut on the Xbox 360. I still play this, actually. I have it installed on my Xbox One, uh, along with all its sequels. Different yeah, settings. It's really nice, but it's kind of confined comparatively to the, the obviously, the newer consoles. Yeah. it's uh, It's got an upscale on the if you play it on the Xbox One X, which is nice. Fables 2 and 3. Um, 3 was not generally so well received, but Fable 2 certainly did well and was popular. Uh, and I have, uh, I never thought it was a classic, mm. but I had a nice time playing it. Yeah, I have fond memories of playing it, but I, I always, uh, I, I still feel the pinnacle for that series was the Lost Chapters. Mm. And so 2 felt like it was kind of retreading mm. a similar mm. story, only not as good, mm. um, but looked better. So it was that sort of trade-off between a sort of a, a more kind of better realized world, at least in terms of visuals, but slightly lacking in the story stuff. But uh, still, much clamour for an announcement of a new Fable it's game. That's the it's coming, it's coming. Uh, Dead Rising was an Xbox exclusive. Mm. Now you can play it on most things and for very cheap. But at the time, this was a real technical showcase yeah, of what the console mm. could do in terms of the number of. Uh, both the number of enemies on screen, but also the amount of things you could interact with. And I think the game was sort of misunderstood. I know Carl's often mm-hmm. keen to point out that it's kind of a rogue-like mm-hmm. or it's more of an RPG in the sense that you you are expected to fail and die multiple times, but with each run, you are learning and improving. And so it's a game that rewards repeat playthroughs. We still haven't covered it, but we should. Three sequels. Mm, yeah, we definitely should. Yeah, but none of them have ever been quite the same as that original game right. was. Right. Uh, Left for Dead, also on PC, of course. Uh, but and yes, we covered this in a podcast. But uh, for consoles, there was uh, for those of us who didn't have a tip-top PC, this was a very nice way of playing. And I think even though the game looked nicer on PC, it was just really cool having that online yeah. infrastructure set up for games like this yeah and was um i think uh, it was one of those big signs of a lot of pcs you know stuff that have been primarily developed for pc coming to consoles of course half the time at lower frame rates and you know sacrifices yeah. had to be made but the fact that suddenly you could play Led for, left for dead on a console with your buddies rather than yeah. having to do it on pc was mm-hmm. a big deal at the time absolutely right 
Crackdown, we did do a podcast yeah. a couple of years ago. Of course, it came with the Halo 3 beta, which helped it shift copies. But so many people have fond memories of playing Crackdown. I, I still find myself going back to it sometimes I, for an orb or two, <laughs> even Crazy. after 13 years. It, you know, it's aged, but it's still got certain charm. And this is a good addition because, yeah, I'd forgotten this one. A Again, I guess in some ways an attempt, although this is a s- fighting series that has popular uh, it has popularity in the West, very much a Japanese game, Team Ninja's Tecmo's Dead or Alive 4, in just the same way that Dead or Alive 3 had been an original Xbox exclusive, Dead or Alive 4 was an Xbox 360 exclusive. Mm. Yeah, I believe it was supposed to be a, a launch title for the 360, but got pushed back by maybe six, seven weeks. Okay. Got pushed back to December, January 2006. Mm. But still, if you boot this up now, it looks incredible. I know frames. people talk about, yeah, yeah, like you talk about racing games being the pinnacle of you want to show off your system, but... Dead or Alive 4, like, even now looks amazing. I can't imagine how people must have reacted to this in early 2006. Yeah, uh, of course, the series continued on with 5 and I think we're on 6 now, I forget, and probably most notoriously for its uh, countless thousands and thousands of pounds worth of pervy DLC. Dead or Alive 4 doesn't really have that. Um, it's kind of no, feels more like, oh, okay, it's still got the the the... <laughs> the signature wobbling bosoms that the series is famous for, but it still feels like a legitimate fighting game rather than a kind of weird sort of soft it, porn collectible. It always felt like a bizarre relic to me because if you go and play Dead or Alive 4 online, it has this very uh, unique lobby system where you have little avatars that run around in the lobby like little chibi versions of the characters. Oh, but and that's things, made a comeback in recent with years others. with games like Dragon Ball Z and Guilty Gear. So I think, yeah, it's a kind of a bit of a staple of Japanese fighters outside of Street Fighter, maybe. Uh, Scoush from the forum says, I was very much a PlayStation gamer, although I believe in console agnosticity, mainly down to, at the time, free online play and the fact that my brother had one too. But there were a few games that, that so piqued my interest and curiosity, I couldn't hold out. I bought one secondhand for £50 in my local blockbuster slash game station, no Wi-Fi capability, and then purchased the game I couldn't resist. That was Fable 2. I just really wanted to play a third-person RPG, and this game totally scratched that itch. I also bought Halo 2. I guess there was some backwards compatibility, wasn't there, with the original Xbox stuff? Yeah, they rolled it out in... um... Chunks. Yeah, it started off with not very many games, and then a few months later they had a, had a few more. Yeah. And it eventually right. dried up, maybe two thousand seven, and maybe even two thousand and eight. Yeah, and some but of them never point, even worked properly. Like uh, Panzer Dragoon Auto always crashed. Yeah, there's a, there's a great Wikipedia <laughs> article that talks about the Xbox three hundred and sixty to original Xbox back compat, and talks about well, this game works, but the yes. the voice doesn't work, right. and like Manhunt specifically. It was fine, but you had to use the headset if you wanted to hear the, right. the the vocals director. from the director. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so lots of weird stuff like that, and lots of original Xbox games were built with um, demos and stuff built into them that just would not work on the 360 at all. I think all the same games are now available on Xbox One, though, so that's quite good. Uh, pretty much all of them, if not all of them. Uh, back to Scoush. Sorry, Scoush. I've also bought Halo 2, Blaze Blue, and a few others, but I really only played Fable. 
Here ended my relationship with Xbox. I had a great time, I'd do it again, and I really liked the feel of the controllers, UI and point systems. My time with the Xbox 360 was like a nice sunny UK holiday in Filey. <laughs> Where's Filey? <laughs> uh, look it up. <laughs> yeah, I'll Google it later. <laughs> um, yeah, so in an attempt to court the Japanese market where large Western hardware never tended to do very well, Microsoft forged some relationships with Japanese developers, tried to get some people on board, hence Blue Dragon, Eternal Sonata, Infinite Undiscovery, Lost Odyssey, Magna Carta 2, uh, Tales of Vesperia and The Last Remnant. Some of these are now available elsewhere and have and or have been, you know, made available backwards compatible. Obviously with we know that the 360 ended up only selling one and a half million units in Japan, so it wasn't entirely a successful program. It, it's, it's funny in a way because we, I've got a, we've got a friend, Junior, who's uh, who who was a manga artist. Well, he still is a, an artist. He, he now draws educational manga, uh, history mangas for uh, as educational books for schools. Nice. Um, but he is an he's one of probably those few xbox gamer in in japan and it right. always blows my mind because i go over mm -hmm. there and i'm saying dude you should get a playstation <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's like but he's like he was massively into like assassin's creed and stuff like that even though they were on the playstation yeah there was it, gears of war was the other title that he right. was a massive fan of huh. and yeah he's 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 kind of he hasn't gone past that generation in fact he's kind of fallen away from gamer but he still has his 360 but it was always fascinating to me that he was like, you know, he's one of the few. And it was, yeah, just, I mean, I've, I've got, still got now, I've still got a load of um, Blue Dragon exclusive stuff that I picked up in Japan. Mm. Uh, around, it must have been like 2005, 2006. And yeah, just like little torches, little figures, keychains and stuff like that. Because at the time I was like... It's definitely pre-released because I, I remember being quite excited about this because I was a fan of like Akira Toriyama's artwork and yeah. stuff. So, yeah, and I still never picked it up. <laughs> I still, I still, it's one of those games that I keep meaning to grab in CEX for like the seventy-five p or whatever that they're charging for it now. But it's like they did a DS yeah. version as well, I think. But they? Blue yeah, so I mean, what yeah. I would say actually from from this whole venture, and it's it seems funny now that you know Microsoft really felt like they needed to you know have a foothold in you know japan and it, it it clearly hasn't panned out that they they would they needed to in the long run because they never actually got that i think this this deal that they made with a number of exclusives you know lost odyssey is an absolute amazing game you know one of the one of my all-time favorite rpgs so like there's some they mm. now free uh, on xbox i think that, on xbox one it was it yeah was. they they made it free at one point. Yeah. I don't know if you can constantly but, download it for free, but yeah. it was free for a week. So they made a massive push for 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 that territory, and it just didn't pan out. Like it, you know, Jay would know more, but it it just did not pan out for them. Hmm. And I think you know, looking back, I think it it get, it brought them some goodwill for the future, and I still think they are trying to secure more development uh, studios, you know, from the east than, than than just the west. And I think that's a really positive thing for them. But it actually, it just shows you, although they failed, the the industry, I think, was weirdly heading in a slightly different direction anyway. But they couldn't have known that at the time, certainly when they were trying to set this up. But I think it brought them a lot of goodwill. 
Uh, but it was a complete and utter failure. <laughs> yeah. um, from mm. I'm not so yeah. sure. I think there's there's a lot more to it. Yeah, than it's that. a whole show, right? If, if you want to read about this, yeah. Well, yeah. I think Eurogamer wrote a piece in 2012. I think it was is it Wesley Yimpool wrote about this, and it's fascinating to go why why Microsoft failed in Japan. Mm. And there's a lot more. It's a very long winded piece, but it's actually fascinating. Culturally complex. Think. Yeah, I think yeah. yeah, I think it has a lot to do with it, and I think you know it'd be interesting to see. I, I'm never quite sure if they'll ever find a foothold in because I just, mm. but you know, time will tell. There were a few games we talked about the development difficulties and compromises made, especially before people had got to grips. So where later in their development cycle, Rockstar uh, led with PS3 on Max Payne and GTA 4 to make the best version possible. Uh, the PS3 got a, a notably inferior version of Red Dead Redemption. Famously, uh, Sega and Platinum farmed out Bayonetta to a third-party team with unfortunate results. And the legendary tale of Skyrim, where a, a bug, basically, mm. a memory leak only present in the PS3 version rendered the game near unplayable after a length of time. So... 20 hours fortunately uh, and there were a couple of exceptions to this early on burnout paradise was was slightly better on ps3 and as the generation wore on and people got to grips with the architecture uh, this was less of an issue but there are there were a number of other sort of games where the frame rates tended to be uh, better on on 360 just it just mainly seems to come down to the that uh, shared ram issue and the um the, the tiny amount of video RAM dedicated on the PS3 for the time. I, I think once again, lessons learned, isn't it? It's it's if you have sure. if you have a very unique architecture, then people have to you know to maximise that. You have to program to that. And if the way the games industry, it was I think it was less obviously when you know cartridge based stuff it, it feels. But this is an era where third party games <sighs> ruled roost. I think over both the consoles for so long. And actually having a more simpler architecture just proved to be, you know, a better bet. Now, I'm not saying, I mean, the sale was fantastic and it made some absolutely astonishing games by, you know, the first party developers. But that was the issue, right? It was first party developers had the time and the resources to do it, where everybody else just found it easier to code for the 360. And it, it's, you know, it helped it instead for, and to the point where, you know, PlayStation 4 came out with an architecture that was not that dissimilar to a PC architecture. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so these are games that we have covered elsewhere and are available elsewhere. But if you were going to be, say, an Xbox 360 collector or you were into the Xbox 360 at the time, the games with the best reviews basically uh, would have been GTA 4, GTA 5, Bioshock, The Orange Box, The Batman, Arkham Asylum and City Games, Mass Effect 2 and 3, Portal 2, which was one that was uh, just as good on the PS3. They led with that. Call of Duty, Modern Warfare and Modern Warfare 2, Street Fighter 4, Fallout 3, Guitar Hero 2, Rock Bands 1, 2 and 3, then the Assassin's Creed 2, Brotherhood and Revelations, uh, also Dark Souls and 2, imagine that, Dead Space and 2, Deus Ex, Human Revolution and even the Rayman Origins and <laughs> Lemons, Oranges and Legends. <laughs> and the Borderlands games came in there with high eighties in the so is review chart. One exclusive game there. Oh, sorry, that oh. was excluding exclusives. Yeah, yes, I'd already because uh, we'd okay. already covered those. <laughs> I was going to say that's weird. 
the best-selling game on the Xbox 360 is <laughs> Connect Adventures with 24 million units sold. Yeah, they bundled that in. Still, That's like Wii Sports, right? <laughs> versions of that. Still counts. Well, it just shows you how many uh, how many uh, connects they sold. Yeah, for a peripheral, that's ridiculous. But you couldn't not buy it. If you bought a 360 console after 2010, it came bundled uh-huh. with a, a Kinect. I've sold like Mine three didn't. of the damn things because I didn't I want know. them. Oh, I didn't get... No, I got one without. I mean, I'm assuming the... Uh, the E version didn't come with it, but I would have thought the yeah, E would have been the... more likely to actually. But yeah, my Slim definitely didn't come with the Connect because I never had one at that point. Uh, <laughs> I feel like you got lucky. Yeah, uh, the Elder Scrolls Five Skyrim, despite being available on everything else, sold thirteen point seven million copies on the Xbox Three Sixty, and Call of Duty Black Ops outsold the Modern Warfare games with twelve million. It's ridiculous. I, I guess that was in the height of was, yeah. Xbox Live, yes. you know, and cod dust yeah. on, your, on your fingers. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we've already mentioned XBLA now. It was also, it was a repository for a lot of, as we've already talked about, sort of um, updates and re-releases, arcade classics and so on, and which probably my single favourite thing about the Xbox 360 was XBLA. Um, but it, perhaps took on another dimension from 2008 onwards and for the next five years when they ran their Summer of Arcade promotions. And Ang- this was so big. I didn't have a PlayStation 3 at the time, but I'm, I don't know if these games in 2008 were also coming out on PS3 at the same time. No, some, some and some, but a lot of them were exclusive. Angry Kurt from the forum says, I didn't pick up an Xbox 360 until a few years after its release. Picking up one of the sleek, slim Elite models, along with copies of Halo Reach and Crisis 2. I'd never owned an Xbox before and wanted to see what all the fuss around the Halo series was about. I enjoyed owning the console, but most of my memories were from indies and multi-platform games rather than AAA exclusives, which, although good, weren't to my taste as much as Sony and Nintendo's exclusive offerings. I was a big fan of the indies, which were exclusive to Xbox Live Arcade and the Summer of Arcade events, highlights including Limbo, Trials HD, Shadow Complex, and Splosion Man. I also found that Microsoft's online infrastructure was far superior to the PS3, it was a lot more stable, and I never had issues getting into matches or playing with friends on the 360. It really introduced me to online gaming. Yes, so some other notable XBLA titles. We've talked about Uno. Trials got a couple of mentions there, which was also, uh, it was actually a, was Trials non-HD was a PC game. Was it a web based game possibly worms obviously was a long-running series already geometry wars started life as a little hidden trinket on project gotham on the original xbox pac-man championship edition is available elsewhere and we have a show on it i think battlefield 1943 was quite a big deal wasn't it i remember playing quite a lot of that here was a battlefield game from dice from ea that was downloadable quite affordable and you could play with umpty how many ever many people at a time was it is it like a 32 player game or something i think it might have been 24 or 24. something like that at the time but yeah it was cool right braid we've covered yeah everything after this was the proper summer of arcade yeah and the like rise of the indies and all that titles. Yeah. yeah um spelunky Starting was an hd like- remake of an existing pc game fez uh again we've done a podcast has a legendary story super meat boy similarly bastion as well Limbo, the same 
sort of thing and Mark of the Ninja and Brothers A Tale of Two Sons telling actually how many of those we have covered on the podcast given that they're all downloadable indie XBLA releases um, yeah, it feels like sort of you know two or three years before all of these came out they could have been on the you know the XBLA indie game service but because Xbox gave them the you know the real go ahead to actually put out these small development team games they got proper you know good uh sort of highlights on the front oh, yeah. page of the Xbox and everything. You can see from you can see from Indie Game the movie the is exactly what I was going to say yeah. yeah. Yeah, you see the relationship that these developers all had with Microsoft themselves and you know for better or worse in some yeah. cases. And yes, as well as that for me the joys of XBLA was releases every Wednesday countless remasters re-releases of legacy titles many of them beloved things like prince of persia and symphony of the night and knights and jet set radio and radiant silver gun and guardian heroes and gunstar heroes the sonic series stuff like that speedball 2 sensible world of soccer marvel versus capcom 2 so many the the good thing about that it puts so you know the it meant there was less pressure on the big triple a games having to come out every single week like you know there was always something to play. You could turn your console on, and every was yeah. it Wednesday, I think, for the the, yeah. the update of that system, it'd be, oh, you know, what do we have this week? That's and right. some of those games, you know, I'd forgo AAA titles because I was busy playing these smaller games. It waiting for the completely changed yeah. the industry, and uh, we've talked about it in countless shows. The way that you know the, the indie games just yeah, it's transformed. And the yeah. and, it, we haven't talked about it MS took- points and the moaning. The people used to moan <laughs> when a game points. was released at 1,200 points. Uh, it's, it's 1,200 points. And I'd say, like, that's £10. It's like £9. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah. 800 points it, was £6.80. I mean, come on. But training rules, isn't it? Once again. You, you had you had a couple, uh, a couple of years of these games where they were literally, it was called Xbox Live Arcade. And the vast majority of these games that came out were things that were either arcade games from 20 years ago or you know i had one of the first ones i bought was this game called jewel quest yeah which the only reason i bought it was because it was something that i'd been playing on my phone for the previous six months before that yeah you know on some some old like sony or nokia mm. phone uh, but then they they got to this point sort of 18 months or so after they released where they started putting out new games and one of the first ones i remember was this thing called um undertow yeah which was a like a, I think they they ended up giving it away did, yes. as a. It was like a sorry for the fact that Xbox Live was really bad yeah. during like the holiday two thousand and seven period, and that was what that was one of the first ones I remember getting that game and thinking this isn't just you know this isn't just a port of Doom or Contra or you know the original Turtles game or something. This is a, this is a proper actual thing. And then that the next summer, six months after that, they started putting out things like uh, I guess Braid or Limbo. Mm. And from that point, it just kind of spiraled and went went yep. absolutely uh, down a rabbit and hole. And now that the, never the gonna Switch and PS4 from. digital storefronts every week are absolutely crammed with sort of similar kinds of games. It's hard to imagine a world where you would get one not considered AAA game every week. Whereas, I mean, it ties back into the achievements thing where, you know, we talk about the fact that maybe the achievements points are now sort of downgraded, like less valuable or less worthwhile than they used to be. Because, you know, 15 years ago, it would be really difficult in anything that was actually out there. 
it would be difficult to get a thousand points in in any game it would take 10 15 hours at the minimum and there were a couple of really really sort of outlying um exceptions to that like avatar that was it took you five minutes to do it and a handful of other games that we used to refer to as being like easy games that would actually be just sort of six or eight hours just play through this game and you'll get all the achievements whereas now with the the way that indie games are released on the consoles there's there's sort of 50 games coming out every week and they immediately all get buried under each other when you go and look at the at the uh, at the Microsoft store. You know, something that came out four days ago is now buried under twenty other games above it. And the they've now decided that everything can have a thousand achievement points, and you you can have multiple games now that are, are completable in twenty minutes with various sort of visual novels and walking simulator style games. So the the way that these games have started being released since the Xbox One came out has been such a rapid, bizarre shift to the way that they used to be that it's just it's impossible to keep up. I remember 15 years ago, I would download every single demo <laughs> of every game that came out on the Xbox Live Arcade yeah. and try every single one. And you just can't do that now. You look at the store now, even if you go on the store every day, there's like a handful of games that have been released. And you just can't keep is, up with that anymore. You can't stay is that a good thing or bad? I think like everybody has anymore. a chance to be the next big thing, but if you're not populated at the very front of a store, the whole Steam effect. <sighs> Other noteworthy titles, I've had to strip this down for time, but uh, two that I really, really think we should mention. Firstly, just very briefly, Minecraft. Now, obviously, you can play that everywhere now, but at the time, getting that on a console was... Uh, in the first flushes of Minecraft mania, the fact that it came to 360 first and exclusively for a while, I think um, was obviously a huge deal. I, I, so I, I like the we, fact that Minecraft, mania, I live with my two, obviously my two seven year old girls. They live Minecraft mania and their friends yeah, live Minecraft mania. Absolutely. My life is Minecraft yeah. mania on a day to day basis. <laughs> Still amazing. Now, yeah. Uh, yeah, I play it with um, my niece. She's eleven. We've uh, we before uh, coronavirus, she would come oh, around and we'd insane. play yeah. Xbox together. But um, we're now, you know, trying to work out how to play cross platform. It's all yeah. good. But anyway, the point is, it was a it's a huge deal. Shame about the man who made it. Yes, turns out to be a complete and Microsoft but went on to buy the game two itself. billion dollars. So <laughs> yes, uh, so it's nothing to do with him anymore. Yeah, and you're right. Even even the original release, it came out on the 360 about six months before it was released on the PlayStation 3, right. and presumably the Switch, uh, the Wii, Were or you, the Wii possibly? at the time. Mm. Yeah, it was the PlayStation 3 release was December 2013, so that would have been just about Wii U, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. But then before that, I mean, what it was two, three years of. This sort of early access alpha state on the PC beforehand? Uh, yeah, since so, 2009, I think it was. Yeah, I remember it coming out on the Xbox 360, and it was a huge deal that they'd managed to release it on there. It was it was expensive at the time. Like I don't think there were disc versions. It was, you know, 2,400 Microsoft points or something insane. But yeah, big get for Microsoft. And again, we'll have to be brief, but 1 versus 100 was a sort of experiment, but it was... It still seems like it, it was a shame it, it didn't really work because it, it was never functional. But we know somebody, Michael Fox, of uh, formerly of the Joypod podcast, 
he got through he won some he won some prizes and stuff so it kind of worked yeah so for those who don't know or remember this was the translation of an existing tv game show format onto an xbox live format where you could sit there in parties with your friends and answer questions and try to get through all these rounds and ultimately win some actual real mm. loot once again, bring the community all together. It was that whole we're all in, you know, we play together. Why has nothing like because it been attempted since? <laughs> anyway, Stanshall says my most played console during the eighth generation is undoubtedly the seventh generation Xbox 360. Having been introduced to cave shoot 'em ups following a revelatory experience with the Donpachi Daioju at Arcade Club in 2018, it was only a matter of time. Having partially slaked my thirst with Danmaku Unlimited 3 and Rolling Gunner on the Switch, I still needed that pure Ikeda hit, and so I procured an RGH console online to play region-locked games. Dazzled by the insane bullet-cancelling skills of the likes of Gus and Iconoclast, inspired by the marvellous STG Weekly and Bullet Heaven series on YouTube, I began to trawl eBay for the improbably named treasures which had excited me so much. Mushihima Sara Futari, Ketsui X, Muchi Muchi Pork, the Donpachi Daioju Extra, Death Smiles, Akai Katana, and many, many more. I felt like I'd opened a door to a brand new world, and I hadn't felt so excited and completely consumed by gaming since the PS1 era. After fiddling around to little success with the admittedly excellent 360 pad, I was encouraged and inspired to pick up an arcade stick by the community on the Kane and Rince forums. I settled on the Hori Real Arcade Pro EX and I modded it with a Semitsu LS32 stick and some supposedly silent Sanwa buttons, although my wife may not agree. It was and still is my pride and joy, and for months and months it had been my constant gaming companion. Within a couple of weeks I finally managed to get a rather pedestrian 1cc on Mushihira Misama Futari Black Label and I couldn't have been happier. I spent hours and hours on the 360 as my Switch, PS4 and Xbox One X sat slowly gathering dust. Night after night after night, I would grind out chains on the Donpachi Daioju, chase the biggest burnt orange bullet across the cancels on Futari and point blank those tumbling five chips on Ketsui. I became obsessed. Even today, the 360 is a pure lizard brain dopamine fountain and it's my connection to the most exhilarating, challenging, and heart-thumping arcade games I've ever played. For me, the 360 represents gaming at its most pure, most compulsive, and most thrilling, and I will be playing these games on this console until whichever one of us goes first. And there, John, is why the import Japanese-enabled 360 is a bigger deal than we were saying earlier. Of course, every console has, uh, every console has its turkeys, um, these are some of the worst reviewed games on the system. Just shout out if you played any of these. Bomberman Act Zero. Tony Hawk Ride. Iron Man 2. Played. Superman Returns. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> Pimp My Ride. Power Gig Rise of the Six String. Never even heard of that. Mm. I think it was a guitar yeah. controlled game. Uh, no, it sounds yeah. like it. The Walking Dead Survival Instinct I did play and complete for review on PS3. Uh, <laughs> poor. But not, you know, not completely irredeemable. Although it probably would be playing it again now. Sonic 06. Yeah. Yaris, a free <laughs> yeah, promotional yeah. XBLA game based on a car, right? You're you had to have a, the, an American Xbox yes. Live profile. Never came out in Europe, it. sadly. <laughs> you fire balls on the top of your car, like a, yeah. like a roll cage arena. Yeah, utter garbage. Ride to Hell Retribution. 
I played this on 360. Uh, yeah, genuinely one of the most appalling pieces of digital entertainment I've ever witnessed. Absolutely extraordinary. Check out some footage if you can. It's it's not only one of the worst video games I've ever played, it's one of the worst things I've ever seen or done. This is the one where there's a sex scene with the characters who are both fully dressed, No, it's right? not a sex scene. It's all of the sex scenes. Multiple sex scenes. There many, many, many mm. sex scenes. For everything you do in the game, there is a sex scene. Uh, and right. in between that, there's some really, really low-rent road rash style action. Uh, it's mm. remarkable. I gave it one star. But not a podcast of its own Well, yet. who knows? Uh, two worlds. I know Chris O'Regan often likes to uh, <laughs> jab at two worlds. I've heard somewhat good things about this, but maybe that I'm was not, two worlds too. I'm not masochistic enough to go and check it out myself. There was a Rogue Warrior game, Hour of Victory. And I played a demo of this. Um, this is the one where the tanks can spin at 360 degrees without actually moving. And where the enemy AI has got auto aim to the point where if you crouch down in front of them and they're standing there with their guns visibly pointed above your heads, they can still shoot you. Nifty. So, yeah, enough of that. <laughs> so there may have been two NBA 06 type launch games, but there was a game called NBA Unrivaled, which apparently is one of the worst games on the 360, according to critics. There was, of course, a Leisure Suit Larry game, more than one, actually, but Box Office Bust was the one that made the turkeys list. Remember Prison Break? I gather Series 1 was a blast. The game The Conspiracy less so, according to critics. One Chambara Bikini Samurai Squad. Oni Chambara, by the way. Oh, sorry. I always say that. <laughs> um, I, I say that because um, you've got I've it. never played this, You're but I've got two, I've got two <laughs> figures that I picked up in um, Nakano in 2006 from this game. I have no idea... Why? But uh Oni Chanbara. Yeah. Right. Avoid mm. Raven Squad Operation Hidden Dagger comes up on the worst of three sixty lists, as does Vampire Rain. And uh, curiously, mm. Destroy All Humans, Path of the Furon. So uh this actually one of the older games in the series is uh has just been a game with gold, hasn't it? And it's quite well thought of, but this apparently this particular instalment was not so much. Yeah, the original Destroyer Humans was pretty well regarded, yeah, I thought, on the PS2 and original Xbox. Guess not. Anyway, uh, just briefly then, we just need to mention a few of ours that haven't come up in any other format. So one that you mentioned first here, John, is a game that I mm. tried to get to run on my PC at the time, but the graphics card wasn't having it, so I jumped at the chance to get this on 360, and I had a great time with it. My favourite aspect of the original Fear was that gun that stuck people to walls. Yeah, it was great. Um, this was another one that I think I've mentioned before in a previous show. Uh, I had a catalogue or something from GameStation or Game that had a bunch of screenshots in it, and one of them was the original Fear, and I remember being incredibly disappointed that it was a PC release only. Uh, but about a year later, they put it out on the Xbox 360. And yeah, it was it was one of the first games that I played with Xbox Live. Uh, we had a blast with the just ridiculous, um, as you say, gun that nails people to the ceiling and the one that just turns people into skeletons and stuff. Like to this day, okay, I've not played it for 12 years or something, but I imagine it's still a fairly good... It was kind of a Quake 3 style, really fast-paced shooter. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I would I would be 
totally up if they were going to make any more. They did do two and three, Fear two and three, mm-hmm. but neither of them were anywhere near on the same level. They were more kind of Call of Duty style, like they took the control system and made it more accessible, and it just it just wasn't the same thing. The first one was really good, really kind of spooky first person shooter campaign, really good fast paced online multiplayer, and yeah, just it has never got anywhere near enough recognition as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. I, I don't, yeah, I, I haven't played it for a long time. My feeling is it probably wouldn't hold up that well. I don't know. Anyway, maybe yeah, we'll visit I'm, I'm a little someday. bit, a little bit scared about going back to it, but. And another PC conversion where the original Xbox had a slightly clunky, but workable version of Morrowind, the 360 got a less clunky and fairly yeah decent version of Oblivion. Yeah, I mean, my understanding of this was that they had to cut it down less than the original compared to Morrowind, like the the original Morrowind to fit it onto the original Xbox. I think they had to, you know, excise more of the interesting things out of it. But yeah, Oblivion is a game that I've played hundreds and hundreds of hours of. And it's one of those things where you've then also got Skyrim afterwards. And the more I've played of each one, the more it's just made me kind of pine for the weird bizarre stuff that's in morrowind curious one from rockstar jay uh table tennis of course yeah, came yeah. out it was it was such a peculiar thing um reviewed which quite is, well yeah which is why i, I think at the time I, I, there was a demo that obviously there was a demo that went up and i remember dicking around with that for ages and thinking i'm quite into this idea and it was at that point all my games were kind of shooters. They were all, you know, that's where everybody I was playing with online was kind of, we were all focused on the multiplayer shooter stuff. So this felt like a nice tangent. Uh, so yeah, it was one that I was quite excited for and went out on day one that uh, I can't say many good at it though. <laughs> I, I absolutely. Oh, yeah. I just couldn't. Ridiculously difficult. It, and it never clicked with me at all. But yeah. It's the most bizarre thing as well for Rockstar to come out with this. It's it's insanely competently made for what you'd expect. Well, apparently it's not that unusual because they're massive table tennis fans, the two brothers, so it made yeah. sense that they, they, this is a pure kind of vanity They thing did used to they... jump around with genres a bit more back in the day mm. with the uh, those uh, street racing games and all that kind of thing. So, mm. um, yeah. And, yeah, your other, your other picks, uh, obviously big well, sellers yeah. and not exclusives, but ones that you – Particularly played no, but these on the three sixty. These to me were the defining games for this console for me. I mean, we started very, I guess, about April two thousand and six. We got a, a port of modern Battlefield Two Modern Combat, which we were playing this on the original Xbox, and then it, we we got the the port on the three sixty. And I remember being excited because <laughs> you had mouth flaps. So when we were talking to each other via comms, you could see the character your avatar's mouth moving (laughs) and i mean it was rudimentary but i do remember at the time we were kind of giggling over it going oh my god next gen (laughs) you know but um but we during the point of that we moved over to call of duty and we got into call of duty 3 but it was call of duty 4 i remember i can still remember that the the months leading up to this we were we never stopped talking about it the moment they released the first trailer to this game it it just became it it literally became our dominant multiplayer game for two years straight, and it was this this there was I, we we'd fill an entire lobby every every evening with 
friends like it was just a whole group of us it was uh, nearly everybody i worked with who had a th- everybody you know all the gamers that i worked with we we're all on the 360 yeah, we all massive. jumped on the same yeah it was huge and for two years straight this became th- the defining game for us like we just every evening we're on it it only soured when the sequel came out so we went through world at war but we all ended up picking it up <laughs> playing it for a week and then moving back on to cod 4 and then we moved on to Modern Warfare 2 in 2009. And that's, and in a way, I've put this one down because this is where the rot set in for me. Like this, this game killed it completely. Not just the franchise, but online. I'd, I'd started to, like at this point, we'd had Sony were bringing in their first party stuff. So we'd had like 2009, we had um, Uncharted 2 and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it all started to, there, there was a, a more of a pull back and forth at the time but playing modern modern warfare 2 um i just it was everything that was toxic about online gaming was kind of condensed like into it spans this one a generation game. it's quite funny isn't it? It, yeah 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 and it was just like within i guess it took about four months to the point where it just kind of i'd had enough of it it like the game itself didn't feel like they it felt the whole Activision money thing kicking in and they the, the focus was lost on it and it just pale comparison to what how much fun we'd had. It started to seep into arguments and, and chat, you know, having to mm. mute everybody else in the game every night and stuff like that. And then it came to that point where my Xbox Gold ran out and I wasn't playing anything. So I never renewed. And that was then... Uh, what was it 2010 so may 2010 it ran out that was it for me i've just i've i've that's where i sort of you know i kept my xbox 360 installed kept it on i, I played you know i'd play a lot of um rts's and and things like red alerts and um you know battle for middle earth 2 and stuff i was a massive fan of so i kept it for those games which i would just dip into every now and again but I've never been back to Xbox. I've I've never resubscribed. Um, but I still keep an eye on it. It's like I'm not necessarily fading away from it. It's I've always kept one eye on Microsoft. But and I think with the the where it is now, there's a more interesting team running it, and they seem to have shifted the focus considerably over the last sort of five years. Mm. And I feel like yeah, but yeah, but I, I can never forget how much fun we had with COD Four. It was mm. absolutely a, a truly defined it was, game it was, so, so was so i when i never perfect. jumped onto it because i just i would be massacred it and that is no fun but in, yeah, interesting picks though jay because you know i think if you talk about the 360 era and you know even playstation 3 era like that was the beginning of you know i think the sea change of you know most people playing single player games to what seemed like for the longest of time most people playing multiplayer games and yeah. you know single player taking a back step thankfully over the years yeah. it seems to have you know leveled out at an equal playing field but yeah, there's a number of factors with it. I think one thing, my, my actual playing has changed mm. as well over that time, which has meant that I've not really gone back to multiplayer shooters. Like, I, I play a lot more yep. co-op Same games here. over, say, competitive multiplayer stuff because I find that I, I run out of, very, I very quickly run out of patience with Get angry. competitive multiplayer. Yeah, yeah. so it's but like... You, you run know, out of racial t- epithets. That's not everybody, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Now in 2020, we're kind of in the best possible place where if you want to play a, you know, a thousand hour single player experience, mm. 
the game's there. If you want to just literally just go online and play something that lasts for a million hours, that's probably there as well. I mean, you, yeah. I don't know if you're up for going to play something like Fortnite or you know PUBG or DayZ or something like that. Free those games are now, there they, if you're yeah, up yeah. for them. You don't even need to pay yeah, for them anymore. Yeah. Tony, any, anything we've missed from your well, personal... I mean, there's I'm absolutely sure there's tons, tons and we've covered so many Xbox 360 games. And I know, and we've already talked about the Halos and, and whatnot, but... Like to me, if I think about the the 360 as a as a console, like I spent huge amounts of time in Halo Three. I really like Halo Four. For a few people like Halo Four, but here, here I am. Um, yeah, I and weirdly, it was a place of third party games feeling like they were um, Xbox exclusives when they weren't. You know, so so I you know I think it's like something like Mass Effect yeah. to me feels every bit of a 360 game, even though it became you know across multiple platforms like i put hundreds of hours into the original mass effect on the 360 and it feels very much like a 360 game because it was a, a timed exclusive which became a a new go-to factor for both sony and microsoft for the longest of times as you know these paid exclusives that only lasted for 12 months and it was a thing but it, it worked like i i think of bioshock and you know my one of my all-time favorite games i just think of it on the 360 because that's where it was exclusive for the felt like the longest of time so they're obvious choices now. I know you're going to talk about Rock Band because, yeah, I fell in love with Rock Band on, on that platform as well. Some that we won't have mentioned and some that, you know, people love or hate. Like, I love the, if you talk a particular indie game, uh, we did a show on this, Leon, and if I remember, Josh hated it. But I love a game called I Am Alive. Um, mm. Really polar opposite game, but, you know, it was a super tough game. Yeah, hard. It's really, really hard. But I, I love the fact that I felt such at risk for climbing for an environment and had to really think about resource management but it's not a a particularly fun game to enjoy but it's one i mastered over a long period of time and and lost odyssey was, obviously was an exclusive you know that is a fantastic story you really really do have to cover it on kind of rinse but like all jrpgs or rpgs it's it's a long ass oh it's a long it's a long game um although a fantastic story um that's the other one i wanted to talk about about the, oh, Enslaved Odyssey to the West, not an exclusive, but yeah. one of my all-time yeah. favorite uh, Xbox 360 games. The platform I played it on and was there for a long, long while. So I don't know. I for me, it's funny when you you talk about this. For me, the 360 is the game that made multi-platform gaming um, like in this exclusive playground, and it was bizarre way of looking at it. But that's what it is. If you take away the the exclusive games that were made by Microsoft, it felt like you know. That's where a lot of the um, the third party games, be it whether it was achievements or just the community that I had built around, it became the place where I played my games, and the PlayStation was the place where I played the exclusives, and that was a big kind of switching point, I think, for many people, and it was for me, and it kind of went back the other way this gen, and who knows what it's going to do next. Yeah, I've just picked a, a very small handful. These are games, obviously, I've got my xbox one x hooked up and it's got a huge swathe of 360 titles there available ones that i bought at the time but these are just a few of the games that are the reasons that i keep my xbox 360 for because they are not backwards compatible or available on any other system so there's a fantastic version of a coin op sega coin op called afterburner climax which is uh, just glorious and i got the I maxed out the achievement points years ago, but I still play through it because it's just so much fun. Akai Katana has already been mentioned is a cave shoot 'em up. You can hear more on our podcast about that one. Another Sega 
the game is Outrun Online Arcade, which is a XBLA version of Outrun 2. Uh, it's no longer available. Again, not a system exclusive, but you can't buy it and I can't get it anywhere else. So it's there. And finally, yeah, Rock Band and Rock Band 3 and The Beatles Rock Band, two of my all-time favourite games. I know you can play them on the PlayStation and I know there was a sequel, Rock Band 4 on current gen. But the point is I have a massive library of tracks on my 360, all that DLC and all the instruments. So I'm not going to rebuy it all for another system. Um, so until... And prob- so, yeah, that's probably never going to change. So I'll probably always have those mm. for that. Yeah, I think that's that's one of my biggest like disappointments with the 360 is that for whatever reason, they never made any of the things that required peripherals uh, uh, to be backwards compatible. So your, you know, your multiple rock bands and Guitar Hero games, they are just well, because when you plug it into the system, it goes, system, I don't know what that is. <laughs> well exactly <laughs> it's it's just it's such a disappointment that they could never get any of that to work final bit of correspondence for this format special is from the walking dad who says the 360 felt like a second coming of the 16-bit era to me which i know sounds borderline sacrilegious but the combination of young adulthood offering more disposable income without the added responsibilities that would later come with a house, serious career and progeny left me more able to dive into games than I had for years. I was, as they say, working for the weekend and the weekend was for games. The generational leap seemed like an exciting expansion on previous ideas and models that could make good on promises of truly living open worlds, sprawling multi-game narratives and the explosion of online multiplayer. Not to mention add-ons and ancillary tech advancements, I still remember buying my first HDTV a year or so after my 360 and seeing games like COD 4, Deep Space, Pop in high definition was a true, oh, I get it moment. Even if the graphical leap was noticeably less substantial than the one at the turn of the century, the jump to HD made it seem more than worthwhile. But it was that sweet, abundant software that enshrined the 360 as my most played gaming system to date. I brought my 360 primarily for the Mass Effect trilogy, which still stands as my favourite gaming experience of that gen, but how spoiled for choice we were. EA took serious risks on projects like Brutal Legend and Mirror's Edge. Team Ninja remixed Chinese folklore with Enslaved Odyssey to the West. Rocksteady definitively nailed the feeling of playing Batman in their Arkham games. And first-party titles like Halo 3, ODST and Reach showed there was plenty of gas left in the old Spartan tank. And so many more. I played the Gears games cooperatively over split screen, got to experience the hilarious lies of Portal alongside PC players whose Half-Life experiences I'd previously envied, got lost in the wastelands of the 3D Fallout games and got eaten by zombies alongside internet randos in Left 4 Dead. It was a vast virtual playground and even after losing two consoles to the infamous Red Rings of Death, I just couldn't get enough. As in, couldn't get enough to the point that I'm regularly playing 360 games to this day. My Xbox One is as much a glorified 360 port machine as anything else, and I'm honestly not mad. The era had a rough, scrappy sensibility to complement the slick and polished franchise side of the industry at the time, and felt like the last hurrah for several companies taking big, wild swings before settling into mostly safer bets for much of this generation. I'm discovering while writing this that I have a shocking amount of nostalgia for a period of time only a decade or so ago. Yeah, I thought that would encapsulate our own feelings. But a brief, brief summary on the 360 console and its era, please, from Jay. 
Right. Um, I mean, I've I've done most of my summary in the the last bit that I was chatting about. But yeah, although I fell off this console like ten years ago, I I am like I've got so many fond memories of of the times that I spent playing with people online, and it a lot of it it all started with Xbox. It all started with Xbox Live, but you know, we hit its pinnacle with with the three sixty. And I think it was a genuinely interesting console at the, you know, it was, it, it was an exciting time from getting it and for the years that I spent with it. And I've never, although I've fallen away from Microsoft, I'm still, the people running the show now has got me back, it, it got me kind of excited to see where they go this generation, to see what they've got in store. Because, you know, it, it it's still, in, you know, I'm still looking to get back what, that system meant to me back then mm. you know i'm not wholly set on being one si- I, I like having one system a lot of the time just because i've you know i put hundreds of hours into single games now but it's you know so I, myself as a gamer has changed considerably but yeah i can't ever forget the, those moments those nights that there were seven you know the whole 16 of us playing playing call of duty and and just the fun that we had you know that to me is that that's condensed down to what I've, I feel with the 360s, those nights. I'll never forget them. <laughs> Nicely said. John? Yeah. Uh, um, hmm. This is a really hard thing for me to sum up because yeah. the, literally the 360 has been sat next to my TV for pushing close to half of my life at this point. Right. And I can't say that about any other console really. Like, I've, I mean, I've got a bunch of retro consoles, but they're not in that extremely accessible position where the 360 is. And I don't, I don't feel like I couldn't just pack anything away and, you know, maybe get it out for the occasional jolly as much as the 360 is. Um, it, it re- has really straddled a period in my life that in a lot of ways started with me being, I, I guess I said I was 20 when I first got the console. Like it's, I feel like it's it's come with me from childhood through to at this point now being coming up on 35 like pushing middle-agedhood and although my gaming habits and stuff have changed a lot in the meantime like I I feel like the 360 has been the probably the driving force for a lot of that change and has probably you know shaped my my opinions and my habits and stuff around the way that that's worked. And a lot of that is because it was, it was really the first system that felt like, a, you know, an entire culture rather than just a box that you put a thing into and it plays a game like, you know, with the whole friends and game of card system and the, as we talked about, uh, you know, demos and um, trailers and TV shows and things that came with it. It's, it's felt like so much more of a just a, a presence and a, an important thing than just literally just a box that played a game that you plugged into it. So I mean, it's I mean it's led on to the further consoles since. I mean, everything. I think I've you know I've still got an Xbox One and a PS4 and a Switch and stuff, all still extremely active. And it feels like in a way that those consoles have all learned a huge amount from where the xbox 360 took things like nothing since then has gone backwards and just said you know what forget it 
forget all of the other, you know, the fluff around the edges. We're just going to play games and that's fine. Nothing else that I've played since then or that I'm still interested in has gone back to that system or, you know, gone back into that ecosystem. So, yeah, uh, it's a it's a really difficult one for me to put into words how much it has shaped my it's like basically my entire existence and my personality and you know the friends that I still have to the day and everything it can all kind of go back to the day in you know July 31st 2006 when I bought this damn thing uh and yeah I I don't know that I'd want to do things any differently great yeah I wanted to say something sort of yeah to be a bit more emotional about it um, than just, yeah, it's a great console with loads of great games because uh, that is undoubtedly true. We'll do a PS3 show someday and I'll say similar things about that as well. But the 360 came into my life a little earlier than the PS3 and is probably likely to leave a bit later, although on that show we'll talk about all the exclusives that I can't play anywhere else other than the PS3. But it's also... Um, that whole generation and that era of time is synonymous to me with getting into podcasting and meeting loads of people, including Tony and Jay here and uh, everything that came out of that. Um, getting involved in the scene and the industry even and all that stuff was during the Xbox 360 times. So it's kind of, yeah, like like John says, it's kind of, even though it came much later in, in my life, relatively speaking, it's kind of inseparable from my gaming history. I'd already been a gamer for an, an enthusiastic, hardcore, whatever you want to call it, gamer for a long, long time when the Xbox 360 came along. But yet it still had the capacity to kind of take that enthusiasm in some ways to new heights with things like Xbox Live Arcade and the, the rise of the... Uh, those sort of yeah high quality downloadable games and yeah certain experiences that <clears throat> were hitherto only available on expensive PCs and and yeah all the stuff that it brought even though it wasn't the first obviously we'd had Dreamcast and the original Xbox it was the one that cemented the online ecosystem and infrastructure as something that was a world to be a part of rather than a world that just existed so yeah really important console I still have mine it still works <laughs> And I still play certain games on it after 14 years at this point and counting. Let's conclude with Tony. Yeah, to piggyback off the point you just made there, Leon, like I think the Xbox 360 fulfilled the promise of what the Dreamcast and the original Xbox uh, were trying to do with their online uh, infrastructure. Um, and I think it brought the PC to the general masses that um it allowed us to you know experience pc ports that we which just weren't possible on the older platforms um you know for for good or worse i'm i'm not sure because <laughs> it's a it's a minefield now but it, it it was it was fascinating to see stuff come across from a platform that seemed you know inherently too expensive for most people or too hard to get into for most people um i love the console for putting the gamer right in the front and center of it and a console hadn't ever really done well hadn't done that a gamer you know was somebody who put the game into the console and then enjoyed like the game put the the player front and center well never had i felt that a manufacturer of a console had put me front and center and wanted to you know wrap its arms around me with a profile and all these you know added bits and demos and it wasn't i needed to go and buy a magazine it was all there and here's some 
uh, videos and stuff and here's online and it it just felt like the 360 was designed for a person to just fall in love with gaming again uh, and for that to be front and center and then to take that love and put it through everybody else through Xbox Live and it sounds so quaint because now it feels like that's such a hostile place but back then I honestly feel like you guys have said the ability to meet like-minded people and the opportunities that that went on to podcasts to friends to you know relationships over the years was inspired by this relatively new manufacturer into a market and it'd be you know somebody that was making bloody word and pcs and weird stuff and it's in some regards making a show like this actually makes you realize how far they fell off that journey. I think Microsoft as a whole fell off that journey when you look at the height they were with the, the 360. But I, I like, as Jay's alluded to, I think they have the right structure again that realize what they, you know, the magic they captured with the original 360. And hopefully they can find that again um, because it seems to be missing for a while. So, yeah, for me, the 360 was a period of my life that I enjoy playing games online. I enjoyed. You know, focusing on single player games again because of the achievement systems. And yeah, it just, I think it's a, a fantastic system that, of course, will always be marred by some of the issues of such as Red Rings as well. Um, and that can't be overlooked. But overall, you know, yeah, I, I love the 360. <laughs> All right, perfect. It remains for me, Leon, to thank Jay, John and Tony, as well as our correspondents, plus, of course, to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and all that we produce, please do consider our Patreon, patreon.com slash $2 a month gets you extended regular shows, a monthly exclusive show, occasional extra treats, and your new format specials three months early, which means there's another one already available. Get it now. Until next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.